You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Ladies and gentlemen, thrilled to have you here for another epic debate. Tonight's going to be a fun one. I want to let you know if it's your first time here at Modern Day Debate, our goal, our vision is to host debates on science, politics, and religion in the most fair, neutral way possible. The channel itself has no views, no positions, anything like that at all, other than that we value debate. And so, want to let you know, though, if you do love debates, if you're sick in the head like us and you love controversial debates, want to let you know we have many more coming up. So, for example, at the bottom right of your screen, Matt Dillahunty will be coming on next week to debate Christian apologist Ben Fisher. So if you want a reminder for that debate, hit that subscribe button and we'll hopefully see you there for that one. With tonight's debate, want to let you know it'll be a fairly flexible format. So we're going to have the affirmative, namely Cliff and Stewart will be going first. We'll have about 12 minutes divided amongst each other that they can use for their opening. Then the same for our atheist friends. And then we'll go into 50 to 60 minutes of open dialogue and then Q&A from you. So if you happen to have any questions, feel free to fire them into the live chat. If you tag me with at Modern Day Debate, makes it easier for me to get every question in that Q&A list. Super Chat is also an option, in which case it'll bump your question to the top of the list and also give you the opportunity to make a comment if you'd like to do that instead. So with that... Want to ask that you be your regular friendly selves. We are very honored to have our guests with us tonight. So I'm going to introduce them and give them a chance to share what you can find at their link, which is in the description already, folks. So if you would like to hear more from our speakers, you can find those links down below. We'll start with Cliff and Stuart. Thanks, the father-son duo, the team. That is, this you could say, folks, this is an interesting kind of, you could say, rivalry where basically our guests, Cliff and Stuart debated Tom Jump and Aaron, I think it was maybe about a month ago, and that was an epic debate on whether or not there's an immaterial soul. And in that debate, the challenge came up to debate whether or not Christianity is true. And so they are back. We're thrilled to have you guys back. Thanks so much, Cliff and Stuart. If you'd like to share what people can find at your link in the description, thanks for being here, guys. Appreciate you, James. We, uh, just outside New York City, our YouTube link is ask cliff or give me an answer on youtube and there you'll just find a bunch of different debates we have i think over 450 debates on college campuses and we've also just started debates uh on youtube channel with british intellectuals uh, many atheist agnostics so that's what you'll find there Absolutely. We're thrilled to have you back. And with that, we'll kick it over to Tom Jump and Aaron Raw. Thrilled to have you back as well, gentlemen. Tom, 
Glad to see you again. It feels like it feels like it's been like two weeks. Uh, what can people expect to find at your link in the description? I do debates and conversations with professors and philosophers and academics from around the world on reasons to believe in a God, uh, and flat Earth, pseudoscience, and all other kinds of topics. And uh, you can find James OnlyFans on my Discord if you're interested. That's right. He has a vivid imagination. And we'll kick it over to Aaron Ra. Thrilled to have you back again, Aaron. The floor is all yours. If you'd like to share what people can find at your link. Uh, well, I do uh, I do some science education and also secular activism, uh, and <laughs> these are trying times for secular activists, especially with the new uh, you know the new Supreme Court justice who seemed completely unaware that there was a separation of church and state, and she still doesn't believe in it. So you can imagine how busy I am. Uh, you can reach me at patreon.com forward slash A-R-O-N-R-A. I do this full time, and uh, I need all the help I can get. So if you can donate, please do. You got it. Thanks so much. All four of you gentlemen, thrilled to have you here. And with that, we will kick it into the opening statement. So Cliff and Stuart, I have the timer set over here for about 12 minutes. The floor is all yours. James, thank you so much. Is Christianity true? I would never put my faith in Christianity. Christianity has been used to justify the Crusades, witch burning. Christianity has a horrible history in many ways. But Jesus Christ is totally different. Now, the question is, really, is Jesus Christ true? Is he reliable? Many people today say, no, truth does not exist. Objective truth does not exist. Well, that is a truth claim in itself. It's self-contradictory. If you're going to tell me that objective truth does not exist, I'm going to say to you, well, you just made a truth claim, a truth statement. Obviously, truth exists. By truth, we mean reality. We live in reality or we choose to not live in reality. Now, there are different forms of knowledge that help us get in touch with reality. One is scientific knowledge, which is based on the repeatability of an experiment. It's based on a study of process. So there's scientific knowledge. But there's also historical knowledge, which has nothing to do with the repeatability of an experiment. You don't get George Washington back to be inaugurated first president of the United States. Instead, you know that there is such a thing as reliable eyewitness testimony. And that is what historical knowledge is based on. You also have experiential knowledge, your use of reason and logic. Experience can lead you to truth, to that which is real. So is Jesus Christ the truth? Well, first of all, the Gospels claim to be accurate historical presentations of this historical figure, Jesus of Nazareth. Now, whenever I'm confronted by a document that claims to be historical, I'm a skeptic. But I'm not a cynic, because if I don't learn lessons from history, I'm going to repeat the mistakes of history. If I don't learn lessons from hypocritical Christians, I'm going to repeat those hypocritical mistakes, probably. I don't want to do that. So the question is, what tests do you and I use to determine historicity? For myself, I use four. Internal consistency, meaning by that, are there contradictions within the text to point to massive confusion on the part of the authors? Secondly, literary genre, literary style. What is the style of the document? Is it fairy tale, mythology, once upon a time in the land of Nod, wink and blink and Nod took a boat ride? Or is it historical narrative, meaning by that, is it written as eyewitness reportage at this time, in this place, with these people around, Jesus said this and did that? That's the literary style of the document. Third test is, archaeology. Does archaeology verify Bethlehem, Nazareth, Sea of Galilee, Jerusalem, Rome, 
or are these fictitious places? And then fourth test is, how many manuscripts do we have? What's the manuscript evidence to support that we have what the eyewitnesses or those who knew the eyewitnesses really wrote? If someone does not accept the New Testament as historically reliable, I have no problem with that. But I want to know what are your tests that you use to determine historical reliability? And if you're a total historical cynic, I don't know where the conversation can go. I think historical knowledge is a legitimate form of knowledge. And I think we have to, as thinking people, have tests that we use to determine the historical reliability of any document, be it the New Testament, be it US history, African history, Asian history, whatever you're talking about. Now, I don't ask people to accept the gospels as the word of God. I could never show that any book is the word of God. So I wouldn't wanna waste your time and my time trying. But instead, I think the use of those four tests Internal consistency, literary style, archaeological evidence, and manuscript evidence clearly points to the historical reliability of the New Testament. So simply read the New Testament as history and ask yourself, as you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four Gospels, does the historical evidence of the way Jesus lived, what he taught, how he died, and how he rose from the dead point to the veracity of Christ, or does it not? and you decide based on the historical evidence. For myself, when I read about how Jesus taught, I'm blown out of the water. Robert Coles, Professor Emeritus at Harvard University points out, all the teachings on ethics over the past 2000 years are simply footnotes to the Sermon on the Mount. Ethical genius in Matthew chapters five, six, and seven, the Sermon on the Mount. The teachings of Christ have the ring of truth. Secondly, not only did Jesus teach these amazingly high ethical standards, he lived up to them. In John chapter 8, he could look into the faces of his enemies and say, which one of you can prove me guilty of sin? In 1 John chapter 3, verse 5, the apostle John, who was Christ's closest friend, could write about him, in him is no sin. And when he was bleeding and dying on a cross, he prayed for his enemies, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. That's the essence of tolerance. Therefore, for a follower of Christ to be intolerant is highly hypocritical, because if you claim to be following Christ, the one who as he's bleeding and dying on a cross prays to forgive his enemies, and if you're intolerant, that's a contradiction, that's hypocrisy. So the lifestyle of Christ demands respect. And then thirdly, the way he died demands respect. At the moment of his most excruciating pain, the love that flowed from him for his mother, for his enemies, was amazing. He taught love your enemies, but then he lived it out at the moment of his most excruciating pain and agony. But fourthly, and most importantly, three days after he's buried in a tomb, a very well-known tomb belonging to Joseph of Arimathea, a well-known politician of that day, that tomb is empty. And over a period of 40 days, there are many resurrection appearances that people claim that they have. And then you've got a bunch of Jewish people moving the Sabbath to Sunday, which is the celebration of the resurrection of Christ. And you have many of these people who claim to have seen Christ, like John and James, dying not for their belief. They died for what they claim to have seen, the dead Christ risen from the dead. So when you put together his lifestyle, his ethical teachings, the way he died at the moment of his most excruciating pain and agony, loving and forgiving his enemies, and then fourthly, the empty tomb, the resurrection appearances, the birth of the first century church, a bunch of Jews at first who were not going to worship on Sunday, but who transfer their worship 
from the Sabbath to Sunday because of Christ's resurrection. And when you have them being willing to die, not for a belief, they were willing to die for what they claimed to have seen, the dead Christ risen from the dead. The evidence is that Jesus Christ is true. Stuart? When I assess a worldview, so something like Christianity, I assess it, hopefully, not just with my rationale, my reasoning, my intellect, but instead as a whole person. I'm made up of not just chemicals, but I'm also made up of more than that, intangibles, things like love, things like a respect and honor for beauty, things like forgiveness, sacrifice, virtues, you name it. I assess based off of, does this make emotional sense, this worldview? Does it make cultural sense, psychological, relational? And also, does it make rational? So it's potentially very attractive, and I hope we don't fall into simply buying into the reasonable intellectual side of giving the case of whether Christianity is reasonable or not. Because I think Christianity, we have to take wholesale, understanding the whole person that we are complex individuals. That's why I accept Christianity as a worldview, as rational. If we were just here to talk about the reason and the intellect, I don't think Christianity would really stand up. It wouldn't stack up. I don't think any worldview truly would. So with that, I think atheism has some tremendous holes, which when I was checking out atheism and especially agnosticism, I saw these holes and it pushed me more towards the rationality of the Christian faith. Now, one of those figures in college for me was Nietzsche, Friedrich Nietzsche, the ghost at the atheist feast, we could call it, was the one who talked about how if you believe that there is no God, God is dead, then you better be willing to live with the ramifications, to be honest. And if you are living for human rights, for love, for sacrifice, for helping the poor, then you are simply calling yourself an atheist when you are a Christian. And so I, typically atheists don't want to interact too much with Nietzsche or Camus or Sartre or many of the existentialists because they take their atheism so logically in consistency and they basically say, here is the end point. We're not going to stop halfway and just say, okay, here is somehow our atheism just dressed up in a way that's more so secular humanism. It's more so, and, and that has problems too for me because it steals from Christianity. And most of my atheist friends have Totally acknowledge that uh, in an understanding of humanism. Secondly, the defective father theory. My atheist friends do not like when I bring this up, but I did not bring it up. Sigmund Freud did when he talked about how typically atheists, not all atheists, he may have been alluding to all atheists. He said atheists were those who often had fathers who were absent or died early on in their lives or adolescence, a little bit later. And so I looked a little bit into this kind of study of Freud's, and it's interesting how there were 350 members of the American Association for the Advancement of Atheism that were interviewed with the intent of understanding the possible causes and the reasons for the atheistic belief. More than 90% were men, not surprising, 78% of atheists in the U.S. are white males. But of these 320 men, almost all of them report having lost a parent during childhood or had poor relationships with one or both parents. These 350 atheists also, not only that, had a way lower score in terms of an unhappy childhood because of this type of conflict. Now, why do I bring that up? I don't necessarily see, you know, it's the core, I gotta be care careful, obviously, with the correlation causation fallacy. 
So I'm not saying that every atheist has this problem, but I am saying when I have conversations with college students and professors on university campuses, so often if I ask a question like, if Christianity were rational, true, would you believe in it? Many will say, no, I wouldn't. And I say, oh, wow, but it's true. Why wouldn't you believe in it? Because of their emotional resistance, their anger towards the idea of Christianity, of Christ, of a God who supposedly is asking them for authorship, rulership over their entire lives. So there's the emotional side that you have to deal with, you have to struggle with. Um, Langdon Gilkey is a big hero of mine. He was at Harvard. Um, I think he was at Harvard about 40 years ago. And he went into a prisoner of war camp in China. And he was a secular humanist in China. And basically, he went into this prisoner of war camp. There was zero space in this prisoner of war camp. And there were a lot of people, he went in as a secular humanist, saying, based off of reason, rationality alone, and the goodness of humankind, we are going to be able to figure this thing out and get through it together, just loving seconds. each other. Clearly, that did not happen, Gilkey said. He ended up becoming a theist, ditched his secular humanism, because he saw the intractable fallenness and sinful nature of human beings. Rationality was not able to help people in that camp live out lives of cohesion to get through the camp. Thanks, James. Thank you very much. We will kick it over to our non-theist friends as well now. So I've got the timer reset for 12 minutes. The floor is all yours, gentlemen. Okay, so the topic today is, is Christianity true? And the best evidence we have for Christianity, I guess, would be the Bible. And so we're questioning, is the Bible a reliable source of evidence? And if we're going based off of the consensus of historians, the answer is no. The Bible consists of not eyewitness testimony at all. It's accounts written 20, 30, 40, 70 years after the fact, which is incredibly unreliable just based off the time frame. But even if we assume they were eyewitness testimonies written the exact moment it happened, it would still not be reliable. Eyewitness testimony is a form of conceptual evidence, so it can only justify conceptual conclusions. Like, for example, if I said, I'm imagining a unicorn, it would be reasonable to believe me because that is a conceptual conclusion about something in my head. But if I told you I saw a unicorn, like a real living, breathing unicorn, it would be unreasonable to believe me at all. Um, this is opposed to something like if I said I saw a dog, that would be reasonable to believe me. The difference between these two claims is that dogs have an implicit empirical basis. There's lots of scientific evidence we have for dogs, their DNA, taxonomy, phylogeny, genetic makeup, what they're allergic to, how to train them. We have lots and lots of empirical evidence of dogs implicit in the word dog that I just haven't mentioned directly, whereas we have none of that in the case of unicorns. Therefore, it's reasonable to believe me if I told you I saw a dog because of the combination of two different types of evidence, the conceptual evidence of my testimony in addition to the empirical evidence that is implicit in the statement. The reason it's not reasonable to believe I saw a unicorn is because the only evidence is my conceptual testimony, which is unreliable. This is the case in history as well. Any case of something that occurred in history is only reasonable to believe if it's something that has an implicit empirical basis, like I saw a dog, or like that person killed that person, or that person was crucified, or that person walked into a city. But no testimony from history is accepted for things that have no empirical basis, such as miracles, magic, mythical creatures, the paranormal, the supernatural, UFOs. None of those are justified based on any amount of historical testimony, no matter what, because testimony cannot justify the existence of things that have no empirical basis. For that, you would need to have some kind of empirical verification today that such things do and can occur. Therefore, it's not reasonable to believe any of the historical accounts 
of the Bible for any miraculous claims like the resurrection or any of the miracles Jesus did, which is the consensus in history. As I can quote some famous Christian historians, Michael Lacona, most historians and biblical scholars hold to it that the study of miracle claims lies outside of the bounds of a historian acting within their professional capacity. It is not the case that historians consider the testimony of these ancient uh, sheep herders to be evidence that miracles actually existed in the past. So no, you cannot use the testimony of the New, of the New Testament to indicate the existence of miracles. Uh, secondly, most of the Old Testament is demonstrably false. Most historians consider the Moses, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Sarah, Cain and Abel, Daniel, uh, including the entire Exodus story to all be fabrications made up uh, as foundational myths of the Abrahamic religions, none of them actually occurred. So all of the entire basis of the Christian faith and sin, Adam and Eve, the, the apple, the falling of humanity, all of that is complete fabrication that we know is false due to things like evolution and discoveries by Darwin and geology and cosmology. It's clearly false. So we know that both the Old Testament and the New Testament are not reliable sources of data as confirmed by the consensus of historians in the field. We know that testimony does not work to justify miracle claims. So no, we are not justified in believing that somehow there is a magical being that rose from the dead based off of a book written 2,000 years ago by non-eyewitnesses 70 years after the fact. And even if they were, that wouldn't be justified. Um, so we can conclude that based off of these facts, Christianity, it's unreasonable to believe Christianity is true based off of the Bible alone. And so we'd have to get through, any, are there any other factors? In order to differentiate, in order to be evidence that Christianity is true, you need some way to differentiate imagination from reality. And that's what evidence is. Evidence is whatever can accurately differentiate between is this imaginary or is this real. In science, the way we do that is novel testable predictions, which may not be the only way. If you could provide a different way, that's perfectly fine too. But an acceptable measure of evidence is novel testable predictions. So if Christianity was true, a good basis of evidence for it would be if you could say, if I believe in God, this is this is the case. And if we can do this experiment to get this result and it happens, that would be good evidence. And the fact that Christianity has been unable to provide any such examples is good evidence that it's just imaginary. The point of providing evidence that can differentiate imagination from reality is that we can come up with infinitely many imaginary explanations of anything, like what knocked over that cup. Well, maybe it was the wind, maybe somebody knocked the table over, maybe it was the squirrels, maybe it was invisible aliens, magical specters, magical unicorns, a god. You can just make up infinitely many imaginary ways to explain what knocked over that cup. And so we need some way to filter out all those imaginary ones. And until you can do that, it's reasonable to conclude that whatever your explanation is, it's imaginary until demonstrated otherwise. So until theists can provide a way to differentiate imagination from reality, then it's reasonable to conclude that their explanation is purely imaginary and nothing but something come up with in their heads. I guess it's my turn to jump in at this point. All right, well, first I wanted to say that um, I had a good relationship with uh, both of my parents, uh, as I think most most other atheists did, uh, Matt Dillahunty and Seth Andrews did, both, both of them, uh, and most of the other atheists I've ever known. The Christians in this debate appear to be arguing against imaginary atheists, making arguments I've never heard any atheists make, and I've spoken at dozens of atheist conferences around the world, so I'm very surprised to hear some of these things. For example, I would say that objective truth definitely does exist, and I can't even imagine an atheist saying otherwise. The truth is what the facts are, not whatever else we might rather pretend instead. And facts are objectively verifiable by definition, so yeah, truth would be as well. 
And the Gospels, as T. Jump said, are, are hardly uh, reliable as historically accurate. They, they constantly contradict each other. I mean, who owned the land that Jesus died on? You know, and, and with what money did they did they buy it? Whoever bought it, because you. Judas died. There's there's so many different options there. And Jesus died both before and after the Passover. He was born in two different places, raised in two different places. Uh, he was born both before the death of Herod and after the census of Curinus, which was a decade later. And so the, the many aspects of the story of Jesus and the character of Jesus were obviously adapted to like appropriate John the Baptist's following and some other people's following. And that's why his history was fudged a little bit so that Jesus has much the same childhood as Moses did, who also was you know, adopted his bit of childhood from Sargon of Akkad. You know, they all just kind of like repeat these same stories. And I, I remember a, a meeting with a, a high priest of a, of a, of a, a Wicca coven who said that his patron deity was Dionysus. And I, and he read the story of how Dionysus turned springs of water, you know, so that the, earth, the, the springs of the earth bring forth wine instead of water. It's a much better trick than the pen and teller thing where you just pour water into a jug and pour wine out. You know, any, any magician can do that, but it's a much better trick to have the springs of the earth bring forth one. And it and reminded me that every story that we hear about Jesus is taken from some other myth that already existed many centuries earlier, Dionysus, Prometheus, and a number of others. So why would God make his own son, if God existed, which I believed at that time, why would God make his own son as a sequel to a common human idea that was already in all of these other stories. You know, so either Dionysus really could turn water into wine just like Jesus did, or, and this is infinitely more probable, Jesus couldn't really do it either. The character of Jesus is obviously based on a handful of uh, fictional characters and possibly some real characters too. I've heard Christians like name a whole bunch of different GZI. Uh, Jesus of Damnius, oh, that's our guy, and and, and Jesus been in Ananias, oh, he, this, this is our guy, too. No, they're definitely talking about different people. Josephus talked about 19 and arguably 20 Jesuses, and they're not the ones that, if, if you could get into a time machine and go find Jesus, which I don't think is possible, not even if you spoke Aramaic could you find Jesus, with a TARDIS could you find him, but let's pretend that you could. If you could find one guy on which most of the legend was based, you're never going to find anybody who who had the, the undead wandering the streets of Judea, because that's just one of the many inconsistencies with the Bible. All, all the, the, the hours of darkness when Jesus supposedly died that was not recorded anywhere in the world, because you know, none of that happened. If you could find that Jesus, the, the one guy central to that story, or on, upon which most of the story was based, if there was a living character on which it was based, and you bring him forward and show him Jesus Christ superstar, he would not recognize that that story was about him. It'd be much the same thing as if you brought Robin Hood or King Arthur back in time, and I, I'm not entirely sure you could find either of them either. But then the biggest problem with Christianity is the impossible dichotomy that you're, you're given an impossible promise of a posthumous reward if you buy the bullshit. If you buy into the entire story without question, without reservation, without reason, then you get all the way on the far end, you can kiss the colon of God for all eternity, forever and ever and ever, trapped on a cloud, playing a harp, and, and praising a being with obviously a, 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 huge, a hugely, well, he's a very sensitive and narcissistic character. And it's, it's, he, know, he can read your mind, so you better be thinking nice thoughts. Always think nice thoughts. It's good that you, you did that, Johnny. It's, it's really good. 
And then the, the other end of the spectrum is you get the, the threat of a fate worse than death for anybody who doesn't believe. There's no intermediate. We know that most things fall into the bell curve. Most people, and whether it's religion or politics or whatever, most people sit in the bell curve. They're, they're not in the extremes. Most people are down toward the middle. But Christianity doesn't allow that. There's only extreme this and extreme that. You either get infinite bliss and joy, which would still oh, be maddening more seconds. in your first million years, or you get infinite eternal punishment, the stick and the carrot. And that's obviously not what a god would want if he really existed. These are obviously the lies that desperate wanna believers want to make you believe with. Thanks so much. We will kick it into open discussion mode. Thanks so much, gentlemen. And the floor is all yours. Yeah, I have a question real quick. You guys mentioned that Jesus's ethical theory was like revolutionary. But as far as I know, Jesus said nothing original, like all of the things Jesus espoused predated Jesus, like the golden rule specifically came from Hinduism before Jesus and Jainism before Hinduism. I don't know of anything unique that Jesus did ethically that didn't exist before that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The, the golden rule, for example, which was taken from other religions prior to that, because a whole lot of different philosophies already had this. So humanism didn't borrow squat from Christianity. The only thing we would have borrowed is if an irrational belief. You either believe this or we'll kill you. And that's it. Two, two things. I, I mean, you're, you're right on the majority of that. But the two you're missing is, one, completely unique to Christianity is love your enemies. No, no, no. Second one, overcome evil with good. No, no, both, no. You haven't read the Bhagavad Gita. I'm sorry. No. Krishna is, Krishna is a badass predecessor to Jesus. Krishna did everything Jesus did much better than Jesus did it. And yeah, the whole love your neighbor where, thing, Krishna already did that. Where does Krishna say love your enemies? Not your neighbor. Enemies. It wasn't one of the things that I quoted. Very different. I quoted, it was, I quoted a bunch of things out of the Bhagavad Gita. I'm like, oh, this is exactly what Jesus said. I did the same thing with Dionysus. When Dionysus calls himself the fruit of the vine, what, what, where have I heard that before? Right? So, I mean, all of these things are gleaned from this elder mythology and then just sort of stapled onto Jesus. No, sir, I've read the Bhagavad Gita, and it does not say to love your enemy. You're wrong. That is yes, it does. Totally unique with Jesus. Second thing that's totally unique with Jesus is grace. The whole basis of Hinduism is work off your bad karma through a cycle of reincarnations, and eventually, if you work hard enough, you will attain nirvana. But that's Jesus not at all. That's says, not you will never attain Gita. heaven by your own works. It but is that's a not gift from God. Gita. That's the but grace of God versus religion, which is based on works. That's a radical contradiction. But the Bhagavad Gita does not talk about that. The Bhagavad Gita instead talks about fulfilling your caste role, which is why you're supposed to go to war with your own fam family and friends, because it doesn't matter that you kill these bodies, because they're just going to come back again. So you're not able to kill anybody permanently. It's Hinduism reasons... talks about working off bad karma through a cycle of reincarnations and eventually attaining nirvana. Jesus Christ says you can never work your way to heaven. It is a gift that God gives you by grace. Grace, by grace. versus work. And what does that work. mean? It goes back to what I said before. Now, admittedly, there are there's a there is a difference between Hinduism and Christianity because you do have the Krishna consciousness. If you're the, with the bhakti, you can achieve heaven in their their perspective. And with Christianity, it's just you believe what I say because I said so without question, Baloney. and then you get the reward. And that's no, it. that's not fair. That's so dishonest. It's scary. How is it dishonest? I don't say things that are dishonest. That's why if I'm not a believer. You are misrepresenting <laughs> Jesus Christ. Jesus so you're telling Christ. me that there is a way that a non-believer can be a good person and get into heaven? 
I'm telling you that Abraham's going to be in heaven, and Abraham never heard the word Jesus Christ. To the best of his ability, Abraham put his faith in God, and Hebrews chapter 11 talks about Abraham. And Abraham was That's Jewish. An incredible man of and yet, faith. And yet the Christians, the Christians have appropriated Abraham to say that he's going to be going to Christian heaven. And in the Quran, it no, says that Abraham is going to... 11 says that. You mind if I in the Quran, it says Sorry. that he's Muslim, I wanted that to, Abraham is going to the Muslim heaven. I wanted to go back to that point you mentioned earlier, that the uniqueness of Jesus saying, love thy enemy. So I just found uh, six quotes that predate Jesus. Do not return evil unto your adversary. Requite with kindness to the one who does evil to you. Maintain justice for your enemy. The Akkadian Council of Wisdom, circa 2000 BC. Um, Buddhism, in the world, hate never yet dispelled hate. Only love dispel hate. This is the law, ancient exhaustible. The Dhammapada from mentioned Buddhism. Uh, return love for hatred. Otherwise, when a great hatred is reconciled, some of it will surely remain. How can this end in goodness? Taoist, Tai, Xiong, King, Ping, Ping, circa 200 BC. So no, that is definitely not originated in Jesus at all. Yes, it is, because love your enemy is reach out for your enemy. It's not a question of don't return hate for hate. It's when Christ calls us to love, he is calling us to take the initiative and to do good for others, even those who have hurt us in the past. Okay. Not the um, Samaritans, because I mean, they're just dogs, this and they don't, what, get, they don't get to hear the scripture, because you guys are only going to be delivering wait, wait. to the Jews, not to the Samaritans or the Gentiles. What's the parable of the Good Samaritan? Remember when Jesus said that he wasn't going to share the gospel with Samaritans because they are dogs, and it would be like giving table scraps? What about the woman at the well? Exactly. She was a Samaritan. And then what about Jesus? He was reaching out to, to every, He was telling parables about reaching out to Samaritans. He was reaching out to Samaritans. He was doing the exact opposite of that. Wait, just to go back to T-Jump's point real quick, then we'll come back to this one. What made Christianity so attractive early on was that it wasn't about simply working your way to God. It was about grace because Jesus Christ came and died for his enemies. So that's it God was about mysticism. Human, dying for his very enemies. That's what, what reversed this whole cycle. And all of a sudden you have... Like Arn was saying earlier, you didn't have this caste system anymore. No longer were the Romans defining social reputation or other gods, perhaps, in terms of your rung on the ladder. Instead, it was God becoming human flesh, dying, and saying everyone now is on the same plane. So Except, radically different from every other god at that time. Uh, wait, Except, wait a second. You, I wanted to respond to Cliff really quick. Um, even if I grant what you were saying, that the reaching out to your enemy uh, was what you're assuming – originate with Jesus, well, that's false too, because again, Buddhism says, save all suffering beings everywhere, including... Not only enemies. that, but you love your enemy as yourself was translated from Buddhism your fellow that, Jew Buddhism taught yourself. that everything is an illusion. Um, Buddhism no. taught, cut off your desires. That's what Siddhartha Gautama Buddha taught. Cut off okay. your desires. Okay. And Jesus Christ says, no, don't cut off your desires. Desire the well-being of even your enemy. Be good to your enemy, even if but your enemy he, doesn't deserve Jesus it. But Jesus was himself a renunciate or claimed to be, just like Buddha. Jesus never claimed to be a renunciate. So, 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 you think Buddha says so Jesus, Jesus spent lavishly on himself? Jesus didn't preach that it was impossible for a rich man to get into heaven? I can promise you he taught Zacchaeus that Zacchaeus, because of his faith in him, would be in heaven. And Zacchaeus gave half of his money away to the poor, half, not all of gave it. Gave half his money away to the poor, and that was the criteria. No, that was not because the criteria. You had to give that was a your, sign you had, of his faith. You had to rich young ruler, sell it all and give to the poor. Exactly. So he was a renunciate, just like I said. Wait, I think that answers your earlier question too, in terms of Luke chapter 16, the rich man and Lazarus. This gets back to hell and the whole carrot and the stick thing. 
Jesus in no way sends that man to the lake of fire like Revelation talks about. Instead, he's simply talked about as rich man. He loses his name, showing that his very identity is in his wealth, and so he wants to live separately from God. That's why Jesus is bending over backwards so many times to talk about the poisonous nature of money. It's a good thing, but it can be poisoned so quickly. That's why he talks about the eye of the needle. That's why he speaks against it in the sense of be careful not to lose yourself in wealth. Another mistranslation was that it never actually said that it would be a camel that would go through the eye of a needle, that it was actually a knot of camel hair. That's true. That would, that would go through the eye of a needle. We can agree needle. on that. Yeah. And another of the mistranslations was the idea that Jesus was born of a virgin because the, the actual word meant unmarried maiden. And so and another several prophecies, you know, that Isaiah 7 that was He needed to freeze after the virgin comment. It was a Matthew, whoever wrote Matthew obviously hadn't paid much attention when he wrote Isaiah because he messed that completely up. No, he didn't. You know why you're wrong? I know why I'm right. The Septuagint, the Septuagint translates that Hebrew word as virgin in the Greek. So obviously, Aaron, you're wrong. Just well, go obviously, back to Isaiah I'm right. 7, 14. Obviously, no, I'm right. Because if you read... The Septuagint, which was the Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament, translates that word, which you're right. It could be virgin. It also could be young maiden. Mm -hmm. But the Septuagint translates that as virgin in Greek. Then so the Septuagint say, is no, wrong, and I'm right because oh, we have okay, to go fine. back to the story. Right, we have to go back to the story. Excuse me, I'm speaking. Yeah, I know you're speaking. I'm speaking. Excuse also. me. We were reading about from Isaiah, right? So Isaiah tells a prophecy what we about another. Is let's give Aaron a chance to respond, and then maybe what we'll do is two minute intervals. So okay. we'll take a minute or two for our. I would then... rather do the open conversation, but I just have to interject this. So uh, Isaiah is talking about a prophecy that he's giving to this other king in which he says that a maiden is pregnant with a child and that when that child is old enough to choose honey over curds, then you'll know that your enemies are no threat to you. So we're talking, we're not talking about Jesus. We're not talking about a magical baby. We're not talking about a baby born of a virgin. We're talking about some kid who lived and died 700 years before Jesus. And then... When it turned out the maid wasn't pregnant, Isaiah had to go impregnate her himself, and then he named the kid the wrong thing, screwing up his own prophecy. So we know that whoever wrote Matthew didn't pay attention when they read Isaiah, because that prophecy does not talk about Jesus and did not talk about a virgin, because how could she be a virgin if Isaiah impregnated her? So the Septuagint is wrong, and I'm right. All right, T-Jump. One of your main points was, unless you can empirically prove something, it's not true. You leaned heavily on empiricism. But T-Jump, the whole statement, unless you can empirically prove something, it's not true. You can't empirically prove that statement. Yeah, we can. That this statement is, going is a belief. No, that's a belief. No, this is going you off the null hypothesis. You where cannot empirically prove that God does not exist. I cannot empirically prove that God does exist. Why? Empty assertions because are the not considered valid. Of God is not a scientific question. Empty there assertions no are not considered valid. There is no way to empirically valid. prove that a miracle has occurred. Why? Uh, because a scientist would have to assume, no matter what, that no natural cause had been discovered yet to call to cause what you and I can. Call a miracle. 
Uh, no. So I didn't say anything about empiricism at all. I never said that in my opening. I said, you need a way to differentiate imagination from reality. That's I, I verification, empirical yeah. verification is a good way to do that, but it's not necessarily the only way. If you want to provide a different way, that's perfectly fine. And but I never I said, said empiricism ever in a thing. And you can definitely verify miracles and magic and supernatural. Those are perfectly easy to verify. For example, if I say, I believe God, the spaghetti monster exists. And if I pray to the spaghetti monster, he'll generate a gold brick in front of me. And it happens repeatedly over and overly and testably. That would be good evidence of the spaghetti monster. The fact that there are other explanations that could explain that doesn't mean anything. What matters is whichever one makes the novel testable predictions that are confirmed first is the best hypothesis. So you yeah. can definitely verify the supernatural if you make novel testable predictions. And again, I never said anything about empiricism. And as sure, I said, the whole what the point of a miracle is when a Christian says, I believe in miracles, they're saying, I believe in natural law. And usually a miracle does not occur. It's the reason it's called a miracle is because it does not naturally occur. One, one thing, well, if you, uh, but, I think uh, just before Tom responds, I want to, uh, I'll let you finish, Cliff, sorry to cut you off. Uh, no what we'll do as well as I know that Aaron also had a point that he wanted to mention, going back to your earlier point, Cliff. But Cliff, if you want to, if you, we'll give you a chance to finish this. And then at some point, I just want to be sure that Aaron doesn't get kind of left behind because I know that Tom's going to want to rebut as well. No, go ahead. Um, you know. Okay, so what I was saying about the, the null hypothesis, empty assertions. If it can't be indicated or vindicated, verified or falsified, if it can't be quantified or qualified, then it has no value at all. So we don't even have to disprove it. It simply doesn't warrant serious consideration. You have to show me that there's a there there. Do you understand what I mean? In other words, like Hitchens razor, what is asserted without evidence can be dismissed without evidence. My whole point in my opening comment was there are different types of evidence. And that's what I'm trying to communicate to you guys. What there kind of evidence types, would you be talking about now? As I was saying, there are different types of evidence. There is scientific evidence, which is based on the repeatability of an experiment. There is historical evidence that has nothing to do with repeatability. You do not repeat World War II. You Granted. do not repeat the Civil War. I, I grant the difference knowledge between has nothing to do with repeatability, with verifying it in a lab or I, having it repeated in an experiment. I it's grant impossible. the difference so, between historical evidence and scientific evidence. There is also experiential evidence. I have a memory of yesterday, what I did yesterday. I cannot. Sorry, but subjective. You, I cannot prove to you that my memory of yesterday is accurate. But I can examine myself, examine my memory, and come to the conclusion that indeed this did happen yesterday. I, I think you can Aaron, come to that to, conclusion, Aaron, but if I you can't demonstrate it at all, uh, we you didn't can't really to, know it. I think the last thing you said, Aaron, we didn't get to hear it because uh, I think the internet chopped. And so when it cut back to you, uh, I think we missed maybe the last thing you said. I don't remember what the last thing was. I mean, I, no problem. What were we talking about? So. I don't know. Uh, well, to address your historical evidence thing, uh, as I mentioned in my opening, no one in history, the consensus is that testimony does not work for miracles, magic, mythical creatures. For anything that has no empirical basis, testimony is just garbage. It doesn't matter how much testimony you have. We have thousands of eyewitnesses of Bigfoot, tens of thousands of Loch Ness Monster, hundreds of thousands of different kinds of ghosts and spirituals, millions of homeopathy. Uh, there's tens of millions of certain kinds of uh, like 
Hindu miracles. Like testimony is not evidence of miracles or magic or mythical creatures or paranormal or the supernatural or UFOs, which is the case not only in history, but also in courtrooms. Courtrooms throw out any cases that these things are brought up in as uh, the cause of anything. Testimony is not accepted as evidence for any of those things because you need to demonstrate they actually exist in the world with something like empirical evidence with before the testimony is credible. Like I mentioned, the conceptual evidence of testimony, which is the same whether it's your personal eyewitness testimony or testimony of someone from history, is not evidence of anything existing until it's actually been demonstrated to exist in the first place. So you're, okay, based off his point though, in terms of your your naturalistic philosophy, you're still going to say that God could never have punched a hole through space and time. His son being born here could have gone about not only creating miracles, like the feeding of the 5,000. I mean, back to the scripture, the reliability of the gospels, how could the feeding of the 5,000, if there were that many people around who were non-believers, how could that ever have gotten off the ground? That's an excellent point. Let's, I'm glad you brought that one up, because if you noticed that when you have that exact same story occur twice with the same people in attendance both times, and they're equally amazed both times, it's not like you didn't just see Jesus do this already two chapters ago. He's doing it again. So what? I mean, it's the same thing he did before, but they're completely amazed about it, because this is the way these stories made by storytellers are appropriated. They're taken from other people and they're put together. Sometimes they're put in twice. So yeah, in the Christian the tradition, there are two separate happenings. Yes, so the, historical consensus, yeah, the historical consensus is that it's fake. It didn't happen at all. It's just a made-up story written down by people who didn't it didn't happen. But what yeah. about oral tradition and oral testimony? Does it in have worlds, just as much weight today as it did back then? No. Um, if no. somebody tells me, if somebody tells me that they've and I've had people tell me this, that they've encountered demons and stuff like that, that their testimony has absolutely no bearing whatsoever. We need something, it, I mean, if you had something where it was realistically possible, at least, then eyewitness testimony would be the least reliable form of evidence. But in this case, it's not a form of evidence. You need something more. In worlds where magic exists, there are people who can demonstrate that. Uh, Obi-Wan, Gandalf, Spock, and Hermione will be able to demonstrate that they can do what they, what they think they can do. And even if science couldn't explain it, we can prove that it happened. We can prove that Spock did the mind melt thing. There's no other way that could have worked. We don't, we don't know how he did it, but he, but he did it reliably. Every time in a lab, he's able to do it. So that's real. But the, force, the, the sad thing is with Christianity, with faith healing, with all, any kind of supernatural, anything, no kind of variability at all. It's completely indistinguishable from the imaginary because you know, that's what it is. My experience of reality is that love is the most important thing and experience I have. Me love too. is not empirical. It's not based on empiricism. It's yes, not it based is. on science. Yes, it it's is. not based on molecules. Yes, it is. It's based on a free decision to care for somebody. No, it isn't. That love that I experienced is powerful. That love shows me that there is an immaterial reality no, that cannot be measured in the bottom of a test tube or by a ruler. Because it isn't real. And that love is very real. The and love that love shows me that there is more to reality than just neurons and microbes. No, that's there is jumping to an assumption. A free, autonomous being who can choose to freely love. Now, when I experience that, what that shows me is there's more to reality than just the immaterial. There's a transcendent being. Now, science has nothing to say whether there's a transcendent being or not. 
Science deals with a natural phenomenon, that which is observable, that which is measurable. You can't measure love. You can't measure God because God is an immaterial being who is the creator, who is transcendent, who is above and outside of the universe. It's similar to when you read a book, although you can begin to learn something about the author, the book should point you to the author and should point you to a rational mind who wrote this excellent book. Similarly, when I experience love, when I experience order and design, although that's not God, it's, pantheism is not the way we go. Instead, it points us to a lover, an intelligent mind, some type of God. And then when you've got Jesus Christ claiming to be God in human form, he dies, is buried, and rises from the dead, the evidence is you can trust him to reveal God accurately. Except that he never said that. And nothing you just said is true. I mean, well, there's some caveats here. Uh, love does exist, yeah, but it's not a choice. Who we love and what we love is not our choice. It's just something that happens to us. Right, this is just this is just a result of our chemistry, for example. It is because of our evolution as a social animal that we have a natural compassion for our family, friends, and fellows. It is measurable. It is chemical. It is entirely material. And I'm sorry that you leapt to completely unfounded conclusions for no damned reason with no justification whatsoever. My life. I'm sorry, what? My life. Is what about your life? My life is proof that love is real. I don't have to love my enemy. In We're fact, not I contesting that love is real. And then I you and I, you and I agree. Times. You and I agree that love is real. We do not agree that it means that there are magical pixies pushing up the daisies. And that's not what I said. So what's the point of love? There is no point of love. It's a, it's an what's the point of aspect. evolution, though? You brought up evolution and love. What's the whole point? Is it just to propagate our genes? or What's the point? This is why we have a compassion for our family, friends, and fellows. This was the thing that gave us the advantage when we lost our muscularity and we didn't yet have large brains. The only thing that we did have that gave us the edge over the other animals was that we cared so much about each other. When other when other herd animals, for example, would be chase would be running from predators, and, and the weaker the the slower the babies would be taken by those predators, very rarely do those herd animals come back to save their kin. But we did. We came back to protect the weak. We came back to protect our elderly with thrones, with a whole tribe throwing stones and, and using clubs and stuff against one panther. What's he going to do? Right. I mean, he can't face off all of us. So this is what gave us strength. Our humanity is based in our socialization. And this compassion isn't just for other people. It can extend to other species as well. But it is measurable and it is material and it does not imply in all any magic imaginary friend. So here's OK. Right. Selfish altruism, that's what I got for a lot of what you just said. And that's tremendously depressing to me because Why? Christ says, go How ahead and reach out to not to only me. your neighbor, but your enemy also, not because it benefits you in any kind of way, because it benefits them. How that is a way better that so ethic for our society today than selfish altruism based off of that type of worldview you just stated. How could something that is so inspirational to me be depressing to you? Because... It means nothing ultimately. It's very simple. If it is true that you and I are were produced by and will eventually be annihilated by mindless, meaningless forces, then all your altruism is a jump into fantasy land. So what you're telling me is that you have to reject science. We have to reject things that we know to be true. False. I've never said that once. Well, you're saying that we can't be a product of evolution, right? I never said that once. I said, if it is true 
that you were produced by and you will ultimately be annihilated by mindless, meaningless forces. Which is obviously the fact. Then despair is the only logical conclusion. No, it's not remotely logical. Your, your, your worldview is morose. I've no, never understand why mine. Christians come I'm up with this. I'm convinced that you were not produced by mindless, meaningless forces, and I'm convinced that you don't have to be annihilated. I'm convinced that there's real life now and there's life for eternity. That's I'm not sorry that you are convinced of things that are definitely not true. I'm sorry that you're convinced of that. Uh, you, more so, Aaron, more you can so. Keep on saying that, but that's just as rude as if I keep on saying to you. I'm oh, sorry, just, you you're fall, wrong. Fall. Period. I'm sorry. Evidence. What's you're, the evidence? You're just you wrong. Evidence. You can't just say you're wrong. What's the evidence? <laughs> Think. Yes, I have the evidence, and you don't. I have some understanding of this where you have none. You no, just keep Arnie, making these assertions. When you say, don't when you say you're wrong, you have to give a better picture, a better answer that has more evidence. You can't just say it's wrong and act I like did that give evidence. It. You didn't. You said you were convinced of these incredible things without any, any evidence whatsoever, but you're convinced by them. I can give evidence for everything that convinces me. I have the evidence. You're telling no, you me I don't. don't. I do. No, you, it won't give what it to I me. said was worse than you believing things that are not even that are not evidently nor even possibly true. And both of those statements are demonstrably correct. It's not evidently true. It's not even possibly true because there's no precedent or parallel or verified phenomenon indicating that any such possibility exists. You've got give nothing. Me the no evidence. possibility. No evidence. I, I'd like to do that. I'd like to give you some of the evidence. So, for Good. example, I no, can quote no. uh, Julian Mussolino, who's a cognitive scientist, who says the vast majority of people in his field, cognitive science, neurology, biology, they all conclude that there is no soul and that the brain is purely material. And so you're saying that all of the experts in all the relevant fields are wrong because feelings? That seems to be what you're saying. And it seems like if if I can shock your brain and cause you to feel love for anyone I particularly choose, would that prove you wrong? Because it's clearly just a material thing I'm sticking in your head and a material interaction with the brain that causes you to feel love. Doesn't that prove that love is purely physical? No. Because my experience, my life, and I'm convinced your life, you know very well that although you have a physical body and you can have bad moods due to chemical imbalances in your body, you can be depressed, you can be schizophrenic, you can be paranoid because of chemical imbalances in your body, which are very real, they're not made up, that if you're not subject to those chemical imbalances, that you have a free will, you choose to love or to hate, you choose to be apathetic or to love. That's my experience of everyday life. I'm convinced, Aaron, that you don't have to be faithful to your wife. I don't have to be faithful to my wife. You can be unfaithful. I can be unfaithful. We don't have to be faithful to our wives. We have a will, a free will. Well, you asked, you but asked for you the evidence don't, there. Um, because you're a Christian, and that's not possible for a Christian to have free will. Your belief in prophecy denies you that. You can't have a free will. If you could not surprise God, who, who made up his prophecies like thousands of years ago, supposedly, and so all of these interactions for all these different generations of all these different people down through time, nothing can change this prophecy, then you don't have any free will. You can't surprise God. God already knows what you're going to do before you're going to do it. He already knows what you're going to pray for before you pray for it, so why bother praying? Well, you don't simple. have free will. You can't. It's very simple. Prayer is not the way to get the cosmic bellboy to fetch your bags and put a Mercedes in your driveway. Rather, prayer is an experiment in intimacy with God. No, it's not the, the way prayer, to get God's the... guard and get what you want. That's crass no. manipulation. 
No, that's prayer that's is not what prayer is. Growing intimacy with God, love with God, or a spiritual relationship with God. No, it's not a way to get your bidding no. done by the. No, that's not that's not what prayer is. You know, prayer is talking is. to your imaginary friend until you believe he's listening to you. No, it is not. That's exactly what it is. That's what every prayer to every religion is. Why is it to every Maybe religion? What you do when you prays. pray? It's not what I'm doing when I pray. What 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 about the Muslims when they pray? What about the Buddhists? What excuse me? The, the Hindus. Great example. What about when they pray? Yeah. What about it? They have a personal relationship with their God who appears before them and talks with them. No, they audibly, do not. That's not respecting the Upanishads. That's not respecting the Bhagavad Gita. Yeah, they, well, it's respecting Hinduism teaches that everything is part of God. They don't have a relationship with a separate being, God. They everything do have is part a relationship. of God. If you, if you yes. respect the Upanishads and if you respect the Bhagavad Gita, you know very well they do not claim to have a personal relationship with God. I know it's very well. Who's God? I know very well. That some Hindus do proclaim to have a personal relationship with God. Specifically, Fine, but that's not out of the Vedas and Upanishads or Bhagavad Gita. Actually, that's actually, their it own is. I, whatever. I, I just spoke to a Hare Krishna several times. I'm, I've worked with a channel of them, and they do literally just quote the 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 Bhagavad Gita, specifically saying, "Here is where, if you say the Hare Krishna." Uh, mantra, you can have a personal relationship with the God who will specifically speak to you. So they do say that. But I wanted to bring up your other who point God, earlier. Who is God for them? It's 330 uh, million deities. Uh, no, you, no, you who is God for them? It doesn't matter which one. They have a personal relationship, so it proves you're... No, right. I was just at a Hindu temple. That's, that's false. Uh, I was no, just that's at a Hindu false. temple because a Hindu family false. came to my church thinking that non-denominational men interfaith. And so they said, please come to our Hindu temple. So I went there. I was there with the pouring of the milk on all the statues and sticking the fruit in the mouths and then having a food fight. I was there for it all. And then they had to pl play these songs for literally when it's their new year, they have to play a song the same way for 48 hours. And if they mess up with one single note, they have to start over. Okay. Which what branch? is that saying right there? It's saying Which it's branch? all based on rituals. And again, getting back to Aaron's earlier point, grace versus works righteousness and okay, what, so you're that telling is a us huge that is a gigantic divide and all of Aaron's points and indictments towards the character of the christian god is always based off of his response to fundamentalist christians who do who do base their theology on works righteousness that's why they have the pride the tremendous ego and judgmentalism the self-righteousness that's why they're saying you have to do x y and z in order to work to god in order to get to heaven because it's all stick Okay, also, so I can just, I can just, so that's quote, what you're fighting against. I can just quote the Buddhist saints to develop love. Saints have stressed forming a close personal relationship with Krishna through Brava. Yes, you can develop a close personal yes, relationship. Yes, and it depends. When you say you go to a Hindu temple, sure, and they do read something the different. Buddha. Buddha never once talked about God. He was agnostic. Siddhartha yes, he did. Kama Buddha was agnostic. Read the teachings of Buddha. Buddha did. did not talk about God once. Yes, he did. No, he didn't. Yes, he did, because he said whether the gods exist or not is irrelevant. Well, okay, fine. So All he right. did talk about God. All right, in that sense. He never talked about God being real and we could have a relationship with. He was totally and yet, agnostic. Remember what I said earlier about, about Jesus having the, the legends of John the Baptist appropriated onto Jesus so that John the Baptist, now has, in a sense, has to baptize Jesus to tell his followers that now you will follow Jesus instead, and how the, the Muslims then appropriated Jesus too so that people want to, want to come, pilgrims come to Islam, Jesus has to refer them to Muhammad. You, you aware of this? No, Jesus referring them to Muhammad? Yes. Because Jesus still exists in, in Islam. He never in died. Heaven, he, right. He, no, in, on earth. 
No, Jesus is not on earth according to the Quran. In Islam. And I just said. According to the Quran, which is what Islam is based on, Jesus is not on earth. He ascended to heaven. Jesus He's is still on earth. He never. He was never crucified. He's That's still right. alive. Never crucified. Well, he ascended to heaven, Aaron. You're right. He wasn't crucified because God. And he never went about. He lived in a house prophet, on earth for many centuries after his death, where he would go out every day and still heal people. So when pilgrims, specifically from from a Zoroastrian faith, would come seeking the truth of God, they would come to Jesus because they were told that Jesus was great. He got frozen again, James. We missed the last, I think you were saying Jesus said, and then I, it cut out on you, Aaron. Yeah, in some of the folklore, you know, people, but, but I'm getting a note that uh, the internet is unstable, which is a weird thing. But anyway, uh, there, are, there are pilgrims that they'll tell these stories that they come to, to come to seek the truth of God. They would go to Jesus, who never died in Islam, never was crucified, and right. continued to live on earth. And he would go out and heal people every day. And so he would meet these pilgrims and they would say, well, we were seeking the truth of God. And Jesus says, well, I'm not the final prophet. You need to see Muhammad. So Jesus still alive, still on earth in the time of Muhammad. Oh, during the time of Muhammad. Okay, well, that's not what the Quran teaches, but go ahead and say it. The Quran teaches he ascended to heaven and he's not here. Okay, that's what. Now, of course, we could talk about spinoffs from Islam and spinoffs from Christianity, but when I deal with Muhammad, I got to be true to the Quran. The same way when I deal with Jesus Christ, I got to be true to the Gospels. So and we were Jesus talking about Hinduism. in the Quran. Instead, he ascended to heaven. So we were but talking about Hinduism. insist Jesus did get crucified. He was buried, and then he rose from the dead. So we were talking about Hinduism, and I specifically was talking about members of the Bhakti faith and what they claim. And then you guys went to a Hindu temple, which I'm guessing was not Bhakti. I'm guessing maybe it was Vishnavites or Brahmin. I don't know. But when you say that you went to a Hindu temple and it was different than what this other group is, well, how do you know that you didn't go to the, the Hindu version of the of the, the Pentecostals versus the Seventh-day Adventists? You know, there are differences. Yeah, so Hinduism, yeah. Denomination, yeah. You read the Vedas and Upanishads. You don't let a Hindu tell you what Hinduism is. You go to the source Wait, document. What? The Venus, <laughs> you, the don't the believer, you don't let the believer. You don't let the believer. Don't let a Christian tell you what Hinduism is. Very careful. I have to say something tell about you what Islam is. Go to the Quran and learn about Islam. To an Amish Christian. I got to say something. I was raised by a Mormon family. And I thought it was really interesting. I never identified as Mormon, but people would ask me, what is your religion? I would say, well, my family is Mormon. And then they would start telling me what Mormons believe, as if I wouldn't know if I were Mormon, what I believe, right? So I got to see the, the Christian bigotry about you know, Baptists telling me what Mormons believe. When it, I would invite them in, hey, you want to come tell my mother that she believes these things? They wouldn't, because they know she doesn't believe those things. You know, if you want to know what a Mormon believes, probably you ought to ask a Mormon. Don't ask a Baptist, because they don't know shit. Aaron, Jesus Christ loves you, not because... I no, he doesn't. Because so. Jesus real. Christ loves you because he said he loves you. Jesus it's not Christ because of what I said. It's what Jesus said. Jesus and when I exist. when I investigate Muhammad, I'm going to have the intellectual honesty and open mindedness to read the source document, the Quran. Do. I don't learn about Muhammad I from am. some terrorist who flies a jet into the World Trade Center. Do you think I? And I don't learn about. Hinduism. I learned about Muhammad from, from Hindu perverts Hinduism. I go to the Vedas and Upanishads and Bhagavad Gita, and I learn about Hinduism. It's that simple. And that's what I did. So Good. you, so you somehow got the weird ass impression that I that I learned Quran from a terrorist. 
No, that was not my point, Aaron. Come on. Well, sir. your point is you're full of shit. That's what your point All right, is. Okay. I'm reading the Quran. But Jesus and I, still and loves you, Aaron. Okay. Folklore. Jesus really reading... loves you, and he gave his life for you, bud. And for the, you to sorry, reject him Easter because of some Mormon real. or Baptist, come on, man. Be open minded. Read the Gospels. Find out what Jesus said. I already read the Gospels. I already saw that Jesus didn't say those things. It's a fictional character. Maybe one more topic before we go into Q and A. Is there anything that we didn't get to cover that everybody was hoping, or one person? Was yeah, hoping uh, Cliff said that if you present an alternative hypothesis, you're supposed to present one with better evidence, and I think I just did that. So we have neurological, cognitive science. All of the experts in all of the fields show that we can demonstrate love as a physical process in the brain, which can be turned off or turned on by electrodes. Purely chemical process, nothing more than that. That seems to be a far better hypothesis supported by better evidence. And the counter evidence he said is, well, his feelings, like his personal experience of love, he thinks is evidence that's non-physical, even though any neurologist could just go in and turn it off anytime they want in the brain. Somehow his personal experience is better evidence than the evidence of all the experts in all the fields doing all the research, I think. No, but again, that doesn't prove. It's simply... You find meaning in love. You find meaning in beauty. When Aaron listens to Led Zeppelin, he finds great meaning in music. It's not just like, if you keep thinking about, oh, this is just, you know, if you look at electrodes or you just look at the oxytocin, just look at the dopamine, I mean, that's going to depress you because it's all reductionistic. Trust me, if you are married to a woman, you say, I do. There's a big part of free will in saying, I do. When I do marital counseling with a lot of broken couples, when they come in, there's a decision to make. Am I going to go ahead and continue to respect and honor the commitment and covenant I made or by my free will and based off of my, perhaps if it's just chemicals anyway, I'm just going to walk out the door and go sleep with somebody else. It, so, that, that's ultimately, it, it's all about your experience at the end of the day because you can't test for love. You can't yeah, you get can. it in the test tube, yeah, T-Jump. That's why what? so many neuroscientists, for example, the neuroscientist who wrote When Breath Becomes Air, that bestseller from two years ago, on his deathbed, he said, neuroscientifically, you cannot prove love, sacrifice, human rights, so many things that jive with the human experience and how the world works today. That's why I'm becoming a Christian. Oh his God, personal you just told me that there's some guy deathbed confession. Intangibles. No, no, he, it, was, it wasn't a deathbed. Well, that's why he's becoming Christian on his deathbed. He was definitely not directly on his. Do you expect me to believe? Do you expect me to believe that horse shit? I don't. I don't. Go read the book yourself. Wait, I don't care if he did say that. He wrote a book after he died. You you answer. It was for you. Anybody, anybody can write a book and write anything they want in a book. It's not published in a journal. All of the published academic peer-reviewed journals show, yeah, love is purely a chemical process. There's no evidence of the soul. Everyone in the field accepts that as the the consensus field in every academic field. There is evidence of the soul. He jumped. He jumped. The answer is very simple. It's the following: the declaration that you are making. That science is the only arbiter of truth that. is not a scientific finding. Okay, but I never said that. Is a belief. Yes, your um, whole argument is neuroscience shows not even a that all of love is simply a chemical. So you, what you're holding on to all of love is, is chemical. Declaration the rest of what you said is wrong. That science is the only arbiter of truth. Uh, again, I never said that. That is not a scientific finding. We didn't yes, say the that. The whole argument, T. Jump, right from the no, no, first Cliff, time Cliff, I met you Cliff, was Cliff. unless it's scientifically shown. Then it's not true. No, Cliff, that's not at ever. Ever. Well, then explain said. yourself. Cliff, 
what I said is science is evidence. Science is great evidence. It works. I never said it's the yeah. only evidence. You could find other evidence that's perfectly fine. If you have another method that's better than science, fantastic. Please show me. I would love to see it right you now. I don't simple. know of any. You don't go on a scientific date, T-Jump. Yeah, do. You don't love someone based on science. You yeah, don't do. love someone based on hormones. Yes, now, I that's do. involved in it. Yeah, you it's do. involved. But you can, no, you make judgments of your instincts, don't you? You have a bunch of different, at least for speaking for myself, I got a bunch of different can instincts. Can I help? Can, can, I, can I help with what, what I find to attractive? Forgive, to seek revenge, to cut a person off at the knees. Seek revenge? Yes, I have that Are instinct. Are you still so primitive that you're seeking revenge? I have that instinct. I definitely do. I have That's the instinct sad. to seek revenge. That's well, very sad. You, all right. Well, good. I'm glad that you never struggle with hatred and revenge, Aaron. I think that's most Quit being so religiously self-righteous, Aaron. <laughs> well, I mean, Cliff, it seems like what you're saying is you have feelings and you think that your feelings are better than the scientific evidence. Like, that no. Is clearly false. My life. No, my experience of love, my experience of self-reflection. Which does not support your of, argument at all. Of saying no to certain instincts and saying yes to other instincts shows that there is a me that is above the chemicals and above the instincts and is no, making a choice between which instincts to follow. So yeah, it, again, it doesn't show that. It's your your experience. You think that your personal experience is better than the scientific evidence no. from all the different fields. No, I'm saying I don't agree with the belief that science is the only arbiter of truth. I never said it's that. It's not a belief. I'm saying you have experience, T-Jump, not just me. Yes. I think yes. if you look at your experience honestly, you'll have to admit, I have different instincts that pull me in different directions. Sure. I have to choose which instinct to follow. I have to say that I've always only ever looked at my, my experience and the things that I believe, uh, honestly. And I doubt if you ever have. So I, I don't like the way that you're alleging that if you look at it honestly, I am always there. Wait, when are so, you going to join me in that? Can I guess though? Can I guess? I think you were turned off to faith early on based off of religious hypocrisy in the church and that T-Jump was turned off early on based off of unanswered prayer. Am I, I was right? actually turned off to faith because it's inherently dishonest. So unbiased most, rationale. Unbiased is, rationale. You're going to look me honestly the, in the face and tell me you were turned off based off of unreasonable intellectual evidence. Early I on. was turned off of faith Stop for the, re the exact Stop reason it. I just gave you. You wouldn't get so angry. You wouldn't get so angry if that was the truth. I get angry because I hate lies. And that's what you're doing right now. So I got turned off to faith because it is the most dishonest and inherently deceptive position it is possible to have. You it's have no way to find the truth about anything, but it's a great way to stay wrong forever and never know it. You have beliefs and faith presuppositions when it faith. comes to why in the world do you live I for human rights? faith. Why do you sacrifice? These are all beliefs. I don't. You I have beliefs, them. and they're you based on evidence. Them. They're not based on faith. I don't have faith. So, okay, roll that one back. That didn't make any sense. Yeah, I don't have any faith or any presuppositions in my world do yeah. at all. Faith is a belief that is not based really? on evidence. I don't believe anything. <laughs> you empirically evidence. showed it. Empirically proved to me that your reason puts you in touch with reality. Uh, empirically proved to me that your reason puts you in touch with reality. You don't All right, need give to me any specific wait, wait, and I will. Wait, you don't need to empirically prove something for it not to be a presupposition. That's not how presuppositions work. Prove to me empirically that your presuppositions, you whatever you they are, have a presupposition. You don't need empirical stuff to prove something for it to not be a presupposition. A presupposition I, is something you assume to be true before the argument okay, starts. Okay, prove to me why you live for human rights. How do you explain human rights? Why do we as Americans fight so hard for human rights? I believe I just said that. 
no, just no, T-Jump. That this point. was for T-Jump. Okay. Uh, evolutionary advantage. It's good for the society. I believe in objective morality, so I think there is a moral law in the universe without a god, so I would go that route. Okay, so what does that, I mean, how does it explain us going to the other side of the planet, though, and helping people? Uh, because there's a moral law that causes us to feel certain kind of moral convictions and act in a certain way, just like gravity causes us to move in a certain way. So do you believe, based off of your worldview, that you have just as high of a motivation as the Christian rationale for helping somebody across the entire planet? Well, uh, I would say it's of, higher. Yeah, yeah well, I have a higher Why? Because... Okay, what? Please, please. Sure. Michael Shermer was just having a really tough time with Christian Smith on this debate. I mean, sure. a really tough time. I you wouldn't doubt that, that but we're yeah, not going to bring up Michael Shermer. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's pretty simple. I think that human beings have one life. They have about 100 years to live and that's it. And so giving them as much value and experience in that very brief time they have is extremely valuable. And any minute that they have suffering is a tremendous loss and tremendous evil in the world. And so because we don't have infinite time to live, every moment we have is infinitely more valuable than the Christian worldview. Whereas in the Christian worldview, our life in this world is pretty meaningless. It's from dust to dust, and we should just not value anything in this world. So from the secular humanist perspective, hmm. our life in this world is infinitely more valuable than the Christian worldview. So your atheist prophets, Camus and we don't have prophets. And Nietzsche, Please don't project your own all, thoughts on us. We would all disagree with that. Uh, all of them if, would disagree if, with that. Please do no, not project your no, own Stuart, thoughts onto Stuart. us. We don't have prophets. We all don't have faith. We're not just as the bad as you are. Of life, Camus. Stuart, absurdity of life, Camus. Absurdity of life, Camus. if I just said... Tolstoy uh, said all of his meaning in life was stripped once he realized that this life was going to end. There was no meaning because there was no eternal life. Stuart, That's Stuart, what I, I said earlier. No, that they are completely different from your thinking. Why is that? Like, if I'm going to become an atheist tonight, if I'm going to convert tonight, why not follow them? Why follow you guys? Gotcha. Stuart, right. why, would, One why sec, would you I do follow... want to... Hold on, I'll let you go, Tom. I just want to say that let's uh, give Tom and Aaron a chance to answer, and then I think it's a pretty good time to go into the Q&A. Yeah, so Stuart, listing all of those other atheists and their other perspective is like if I list Jonathan Smith and say, well, why aren't you a Mormon? Because clearly he's a That's representation true. of Christianity. Like just picking a random guy who wrote a book and labeled it atheism doesn't mean it's an authority on atheism. No, it'd be like John the Baptist and Jesus. You have to go into That's how big they are. Q&A. No, they're not big at all so, in atheism. Like there is no authority in atheism. We'll they're just give, random guys who wrote books and that's it. Like Jonathan Smith. Let's give yeah, Aaron a chance. I am frequently accused of being one of these atheist authorities. I assure you, I am not. Gotcha. And we will jump into it with that. Thanks so much, folks. That was a lively one, but a terrific one. That was really, really fun conversation. I'm still bothered by one thing. I just got to say one more thing. When you guys think that you have to live forever in order for life to have meaning, no. that's, that's morose. It's morbid. I mean, well, no. I, I mean, so so you disagree with all the existentialists then, because they would say that. I, I don't care. The, the, so I'm with humans value most that which because is rare. Because you can still have a type of meaning here. I mean, certainly I, I can help my plant grow over there by watering it, and that gives me meaning in life. Well, let's give a comparison. My life expectancy in some kind of way. Let, let's give a comparison, okay? So so my my primary motivation is truth. I don't want to believe anything that isn't evidently true, and everything you believe is not evidently true. It's not it's supportable. It's not defensible. It's not possible. And those are all defensible statements. And I believe your position is all emotionally based. It's not mainly based off reason. It's not remotely emotional. No. Because you're because your emotion. There's so much emotion behind it. Like why? I, I, I hate. Would lies. you be this angry at the at the tooth fairy? Would you be this angry at the tooth fairy? If the tooth if the tooth fairy was being taught in grade school, yeah, I'd be that angry about it. Sure. 
theory, the tooth fairy is being taught when you're two years old. I mean, when you come the out of the world, is not the taught. taught. You don't go to state-funded institutions to be told so about. Now we're the getting back theory. to the religion question. Okay, I'm talking about Jesus Christ. But go ahead. Okay, very so different. Whichever version of the tooth fairy or the Easter bunny or whatever you want to go with doesn't matter. We're still talking about things that are not evidently true and not and not even possible, and that should not be taught in school. And you're trying to to sidetrack me from the point I was trying to make. Humans value most that which is rare. This is typical for us. And what is more rare than than the value of a human life, right? Except when you think you're going to live forever. And then Christians tell me that this life that we the one life we know we actually do get, they think that this is some arduous thing that you've got to get through to get to the great reward that comes after the one thing you actually do get. That's what's morose, and that's what's so wrong about it. That's the sad thing. Why do I not like faith? It's because it's wrong. It's because everything you 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 guys say is wrong. Jesus and I, I, don't, I don't believe that. Jesus Christ taught not to live for the afterlife. Jesus Christ taught to live for the now, to redeem and buy back this place by helping the poor. And he said that he came. He has nothing to do with this pie in sky by and by. Let's just live for the afterlife. Right. And in Matthew 10, he he said he came to divide husbands from their their wives and parents from their children. Called hyperbole. Separate families and so forth. Yeah, I get all that. So what was his point in saying that? What was his point in saying that? He, wa- he wants you to believe in mysticism. He wants you no, to no, believe in mysticism. You're, you're just, just totally skating over it right now. I'm not skating over it. I'm answering the question. You are, you're number right 31. You should, you should have stuck with number 31 because you had a better point on that the other night. Based off of – If I you mean, don't want to hear the answer, rate, you just want to keep asking the question in the no, middle the of the reason, answer, let, let me tell you why. Let me tell you why. In Let me tell you why you why won't let me answer the question you keep because. asking. Well, let's let's uh, let's let's give Arne. Yeah, it's a definitely chance. time to go to Q and A because this guy ain't gonna get anywhere. It's about loyalty. It's about loyalty and commitment. It's not about actually. No, like, it isn't. It's it not. Wife. Why it has do you have nothing ha- to do with that? Why are you absolutely every wrong about absolutely everything? Wouldn't it be nice interpret. to be right about something once in a while? Everybody interprets. We must go into the Q and A. So I want to say thanks so much for your questions, folks. Very juicy one tonight. And we're starting with Jason Burris. Appreciate your question. Said, I'm an archaeologist. Tell me, one, what are the methods that prove the Bible? I find it hard to believe that a faith can be proven through archaeology. And two, what events in the Bible are proven through archaeology? Read the book of Acts. All right. Archaeology. Why don't you answer the question? All right. Archaeology (laughs) is not the basis of faith. Instead, Archaeology is one of the four tests that I use on any document that claims to be historical. Meaning by that, if a document that claims to be historical is talking about the island of Atlantis that archaeology cannot verify, the evidence is that the document is not historically reliable. But if the document is talking about Bethlehem, Nazareth, Jerusalem, Sea of Galilee, all archaeologically verifiable places, then that is one piece of evidence pointing to the reliability of the document. So archaeology has nothing to do with establishing faith in God or faith in Christ. It has to do with determining the trustworthiness of an historical document. Two things on that. One, when archaeologists discovered discovered the city of Troy, did that make it evidence of the Hellenist gods? I give. I gotta get these guys the last word. Uh, oh, so okay. Aaron, you missed my whole point. Aaron, you're a point. 
You missed my whole point, Aaron. Okay, That's so sad. Baptist we'll, beer. We'll go to the next question then. Thanks for your question, or I should say, thanks for your super sticker, Woody. Appreciate the support and majestic P back. Thank you as well for that beautiful, tremendous super sticker. Language and programming. Thanks for your question. Said, how could a book which admits to people claiming it was a quote cleverly devised myth in Second Peter one sixteen be considered without suspicion as true? It's total it's very simple. Peter writes in Second Peter, we did not follow cleverly invented stories. Instead, we were eyewitnesses of his power and glory. Just go back and read it for yourself. If you want to find out about Islam, read the Quran. If you want to find out about Hinduism, read the Vedas, Upanishads, Bhagavad Gita. And if you want to find out about Jesus Christ, read the Gospels, read the New Testament. I will agree on one point. They were not cleverly written. Next up, thanks for your question. This one comes in from our dearest friend, Language in Programming Strikes Again, saying, Which gospel is true? The Gospel of Mark ends at 16.9, where nobody told anybody about the resurrection, or Matthew and Luke. Those say the opposite. Mark has an empty tomb. You're right. The end of Mark chapter 16 is not in the earliest Greek manuscripts. That is why it's important to read in context. And when you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you have an empty tomb. You also have resurrection appearances, different resurrection appearances in Matthew, Luke, and John. But you unequivocally have an empty tomb and resurrection appearances from the Gospels. Thanks. And language in programming, thanks for your other question, said the life of Apollonius records the death and resurrection of Apollonius of Tiana. Many eyewitnesses saw this event. Is it true slash reliable? Why or why not? Because Apollonius was written about two to three hundred years after his death by a guy named Philostratus. And there is absolutely no historical evidence that this really took place. Instead, this guy Philostratus writes upon about Apollinarius, and it, there's very, very little evidence that he, he's historically reliable. So once again, what, as, as I began my talk, you've got to determine what tests you use to determine historical reliability. This and to try and take Philostratus to try and validate a guy who lived two to three hundred years before him with no other eyewitness testimony— you're hanging by a very thin thread. That, that brings up a point I wanted to ask, and I don't know when I can fit it in. So I'm wondering if after we do the Q&A, I would love to ask the believers a couple of questions. We can, let's see, we're, we'll keep firing through, and then we can definitely get to those at maybe like a breakup in these questions because we've got a lot. Milf's Porch, thank you for your question, said, where is the, sacri the sacrifices when you know you are going to go to heaven and then resurrect three days after. Hell would be the securities. Uh, let's see. I think they're saying, like, where is, how is Jesus really sacrificing if he knows, like, that he's going to come back and that he would be in heaven? You're right. Hard question. It begins with, who is Jesus? Is he really the eternal preexistent God? who is transcendent above the universe, who humbles himself 
becomes a human being, lives this sinless life, suffers and then bleeds and die on a cross so that you and I could be forgiven and have eternal life. If you're going to call that a non-sacrifice, I'm afraid that's a very sad position. Obviously, he sacrificed incredibly. Now, did he sacrifice as much as you would like him to, to die and go to hell and stay in hell? No, he didn't do that. He's God, but he's God in human form who suffers, bleeds, and dies on a cross in order to forgive us and give us eternal life. Tremendous sacrifice. It shows that he took I got to throw something else in there, too. Jesus never, he, said, Jesus never said he was God. Yes, he did. Oh, boy. No, he didn't. Absolutely. He said that Jesus, he, Jesus always only ever said to God was someone else, someone father, else, who knew I things. And the Father are one before Yeah, Abraham and then he was, said in the same am, chapter. I have come in that the they same, may have eternal life. Yeah, in the same chapter. He, I mean, there's the, like 10 different ways he said it. There's like no ways he said that. He never said that he was God. He always only ever said that God was someone else, somewhere else, and knew things that Jesus didn't do. You just wanted to hear him say the word worship. didn't do. And when he said that he and the Father the were Muslims one, meaning, make meaning the same, that, I'm meaning, to think you're Muslim. were, meaning that they were the same mission, that they had the same purpose, he then, in the same chapter, then goes and talks to somebody who's not himself to ask, hey, can my disciples now be one getting, with you? Now the you're same getting into the Trinity. That, excuse me, let me fucking finish. Can my disciples be one with you the same way I'm one with you? Which means that he wasn't one with him. Jesus right, did if not I, if I ever say the Quran, that he was God. Right, the way we, you read give, the New uh, Testament, that would be so intellectually dishonest. Do not Justin, accuse hold on, me one of second. dishonesty okay. again. What I need to do is, I need to do this. So, uh, what we'll do is I'll kick it back to Cliff and Stuart to have the last word because the, the super chat was directed at them. And so I don't want to kind of gang up on them. So we'll give them the last word. Then we go to the next one. <laughs> well, I mean, that sacrifice was tremendously important, obviously. Well, three days in a weekend. Judeo-Christian Judeo values are all based on that very so sacrifice. So Jesus goes to hell for three days and he runs hell. So he went, basically went to one of his own Trump properties. Again, and that's so based off the of weekend. And to, that's it. We do have to. We have a lot of questions, and so I do yeah, have yeah. to give Cliff and Stuart the last word, and we got to go to the next one. You guys, yep, feel good. Okay. Next up, David P. Naff. Thanks for your super chat. Said, "Go, Aaron. You got a fan out there, Aaron." And then Kyle Brosler. Thanks for your question. Said, "Let's see. I'd pay a bunch for another Aaron versus Kent Hovind debate." I don't know. If that's... I, you know, I, I I would really love that too because I had too much fun with it. But I don't want to give that 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 fraud any more attention. There are a handful of people in the NIFB who make videos about me just hoping that I will comment about them. Especially that ginger twink who recently uploaded a video claiming that I lied and that I admitted that I don't care what the truth is. No, that guy lies every time he breathes, and he's just trying to get attention. I'll I'm not going to give on... any more attention to people from the NIFB. I'll work on convincing Aaron, everybody. Okay. <laughs> I don't know if it's going to happen. David P. Neff, thanks for your question, said, Any good God would care more about our actions than beliefs. Question to Cliff, are people who never heard of Jesus burning in hell? I do not know how God is going to judge those who have never heard about Christ because Christ never answered the question. But he does make five points that apply to your excellent question. First point. Nobody's going to hell because they didn't hear about Christ. The only reason people go to hell is because they choose to live their lives separate from God, and on the day of judgment, God grants their request, and they'll spend eternity separate from him. Second point, 
there are going to be a lot of people in heaven who never heard the word Jesus Christ. Hebrews chapter 11 in the New Testament lists some of these people by name. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, Rahab, a Gentile prostitute. Obviously, they never heard about Jesus. But in humility, they put their faith in God. They're going to be in heaven. Next point, the only reason they're going to be in heaven is because of Christ's death on a cross as a sacrifice for their wrongdoing. Abraham was a sinner. Sarah knew that for sure. So did Hagar and Ishmael. We're all sinners. I'm a sinner. And Christ died on a cross to pay the penalty for our sin to forgive us and give us eternal life. Next up, thanks so much for your question. Experiments in prebiotic chemistry said, let's see. Is it more moral to allow evil and suffering or to intervene to stop it if the police don't care about the free will of a potential murderer? Then why should an omnipotent God care? Who's that for, James? I think that's for you guys. Well, I mean, it gets after the whole, he gives us free will, grants us free will. Yes, he is omniscient, omnipotent, all loving. But this place is messed up based off Genesis 3. There's tremendous brokenness. And I think all about, again, this whole conversation tonight is really about experience. I think everything in our experience shows that there is brokenness, the psychological, sociological, cosmic level. And so that's why, sure, God steps in at some points. Other times he does not. If he stepped in at every single point, that would take away our free will. Yeah, God never steps in, period, ever, at all. And we don't have free will. Next up. Uh, Andrew Handelsman, thanks for your question, said, Aaron and Cliff boxing match after the show. Maybe. I don't know. Brother John, (laughs) thanks for your question, said, uh, how does Yahweh love his enemies? He kills them, the Amalekites, (laughs) the flood, hell, and they said embrace pantheism. We have a pantheist. So this is an easy one. Most likely that is a white suburban guy bringing up that very issue, if I, if I had to guess. And it's so easy for us white suburban men to say that because we are in a culture that is very different from the A&E culture, or ancient Near East culture. Don't forget, the Amalekites, the Canaanites, these, all these kites were most likely always just raping their women, pillaging. They were also doing child sacrifices all the time. I mean, if you walked into an ISIS camp and you saw all the things that were going on in the ISIS camp, I mean, after Caitlin Mueller and all these other things that we've heard about, would you not want some type of judgment at some point? I mean, God gives the Amalekites 400 years to repent. At some point, I would want judgment on a whole camp of people. But there, don't forget, there's never genocide because these different groups of people always end up popping back up again. So it's not wiping out a whole human race. And the proof, the proof of that is how angry you get if someone steals something from you. The proof of that is how incredibly effective your locks are and your cybersecurity. You know very well that if someone rips you off, you cry out, justice. This was wrong, and I do not want this to happen again. Gotcha. Thanks for your question. Mark Reed said, Cliff, if experience is good evidence, then why wouldn't all religions be true, even if they all contradict one another? Because you and I have to be skeptical and very self-analytical and self-critical when it comes to experience. My experience is that I can, I'm not very smart, to be honest with you. In fact, I'm probably the dumbest guy on the screen that you see right now. But when it comes to rationalizing what I want to do, when it comes to justifying whatever I want to do, I turn downright brilliant. 
And so experience is important to look at. And to tell you the truth, I'm embarrassed about what I have done at times. I'm also very grateful for what I've done at other times. I'm this weird mixture of good and evil. And that's exactly what Jesus Christ points out. We're all valuable because we're all created in the image of God. We all have tremendous capacity to do good. And we also have this warped fascination with evil. Alexander Solzhenitsyn put it this way. There's a line running through every human heart that separates good from evil. Thank you. And, and you we cannot have a, follow me unless you, you hate your brother you have, and your mother and this your This is a question for you, Father. I hate to interrupt, so but the uh, Pi373, a critic this time, says... Aaron, if you don't want to put out false teachings, don't speak as an authority on the Bible. Good thing I don't ever speak as an authority on the Bible. I Got don't, ever. Thank you. And then Zakus, thanks for your question, said, Historical evidence can be repeatable, though. It can be corroborated through different sources. If they match, then it's more likely to be true. If they don't, it's more likely to be false. Yeah, that's, that's, that's not really a question, but it's a good it's a good point to bring up that only, we only have one book that talks about the undead saints, and, and the and the hours of darkness and all that. And like the the other ones don't corroborate that because it never happened. Gotcha. Stupid whore energy is in the building. She says, surely Philo, a contemporary of Jesus and his apostles, would have heard about all those miracles happening and would have wrote about it. Why didn't he, Cliff and Stewart? He was part of the conspiracy. Okay. I don't know why Philo didn't write about Jesus, but I do know that Josephus, the aristocrat and the Jewish historian, wrote about Jesus. I Wrong do know Jesus. that two Romans historians named Tacitus and Suetonius wrote Which, about again, Jesus. Again, don't qualify. I as, also as know that a Jesus. Syrian philosopher named Marabar Serapion, a Syrian philosopher, he was a Stoic wrote about Jesus. I do know that there are hostile references to Jesus in the Babylonian Talmud, which includes the Mishnah and the Gemara. So Jesus' enemies wrote about him in the Babylonian Talmud. So you've got a Jewish historian and aristocrat. You have two Roman historians, Tacitus and Suetonius. You have a Syrian philosopher, Seroponian, and you have the Babylonian Talmud writing about Jesus. Next up, Ryan you, Gordon. You so we, we, we wrote, those people I wrote about do Christians, so many not about Christ. Cliff, could you could you spell that for the the Assyrian philosopher? Can you spell that for me? S e r a p i o n. Next, Ryan Gordon. Thanks for your question. Said you can't measure supernatural with natural measurements. You you would need a supernatural quote unquote ruler or spirit. Can't measure three D with only length and height. I think that's for you, Tom, if I had to guess. Yeah, it's called indirect observation. We don't directly see new neutrinos because they're too small to detect, but we can detect the effect they have. So if there is a supernatural being who had some effect in the world, like doing miracles, we could measure it that way, no problem. So if there's a God who you can pray to to generate a gold brick and the gold brick appears every time you pray, that would be good evidence of the supernatural. You don't actually need direct observation of the supernatural. You can have indirect observation, which is commonly used in science to detect things that you can't directly see. Not a problem. Thanks so much. Yeah, Next. And, and I'm I'm glad that you're getting the references that they brought up because I mean, like Bart Ehrman, who's a who's a scholar on this and an actual authority on the Bible, in a matter of speaking, uh, says that there's no word at all from from Jesus's enemies. Now, there's there's people who write about, about Christians and the establishment of Christianity by a certain time, you know, like Tacitus and so forth, but none of them ever talked about Jesus himself to verify that there was a man there. So no, that never happened. And this is according to Ehrman. 
Gotcha. Well, I would I mean, like to there see there are 15 sources externally within the first hundred years. I would like to see your refutation about that and read it for myself because none of the experts seem to be aware of it. No, that was Bart. Next sorry, up. what? That that was Bart. I just said Bart Ehrman. I didn't hear what you said. Fifteen external sources, he says, all within the hundred years, up to one hundred. He said there. I think Aaron is froze. Yep. In the next century, but not in that century. I, we didn't hear what you said, Aaron. Sorry, it froze at just that moment. I'm sorry. It, 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 what Ehrman was saying was that, yeah, we've got plenty of people who talk about the existence of Christianity a century later, but we don't have anybody that's talking about Christ himself in the century that he lived. Gotcha. Next, we must move on. Andrew Handelsman thinks your question said movie theory stole Bruce Wayne's avatar. Gotcha. Movie theory is a local troll we have. But uh, Wilma Dickfit, I appreciate your, oh gosh, okay, said, thanks, uh, said, love the channel. James, we appreciate your encouragement about the channel. Uh, we appreciate you hanging out here. Zacuse, thanks for your question, said, Cliff, a psychopath can't choose to love. They lack empathy, which prevents them from feeling what you're preaching. They can only feel for themselves. And that is why we call them a psychopath. And that is why we have mental hospitals, because we understand that due to chemical imbalances in the brain, a person can lose a lot of their rational thinking, a lot of their free will, and they become slaves to chemicals. And that is tragic. And we view it as a sickness. We do not view it as healthy. We also do not view it as the norm. And we try to hold them responsible in a different way than we hold someone who has chemical balance brains responsible. You can lose your free will. Wasn't that for Aaron? I think it's yeah. saying the fact that you can't understand how your experience could just be a product of brain states doesn't mean that, that you actually have this love thing that you're talking about. Yeah, well, my point is simple. My point is there is no way to empirically prove that a miracle has occurred. Why? A scientist would have to assume, or a person with that belief that science is what determines reality, a scientist would have to assume, no matter what, that no natural cause had been discovered yet. And so that's TJ's point. I would assume, I would, TJ, I would assume that you would say, although we do not understand exactly why this happens, there is a natural explanation. We just don't have it yet. Because your worldview, as, at least what I've heard you espouse, T-Jump, is that only the natural is real, only what is measurable is real, 
Only what is scientifically verifiable is real. And I'm obviously contradicting that and saying I disagree. I think that your experience of life shows you that there is more to reality than simply what you can scientifically verify. One sec. Folks, if you want to let me know in the chat, so sorry. I accidentally left myself on mute in OBS. Let me know what if question if there's a what the last question was that you heard from me being asked. Ho I, I sounds like you guys could hear everybody else. So you maybe were able to piece together what the questions were, but sorry about that, folks. And appreciate your question. This one comes in from Martin C, who says Christianity or Christians, do you have contemporary evidence of an afterlife? near-death experiences. I think we're getting more and more peer-reviewed articles out of Duke University showing a lot of evidence for them. And so a lot more scholars are taking them seriously. I never would have said NDEs like five years ago, ever. I won't say I don't know them how five, years five years ago. But, and then also the miraculous. I mean, when I was in Haiti, again, this gets back to personal experience. I think every single person I talked to had had some kind of encounter with the supernatural. Next so, up. Yeah, go ahead. So have I. And, I've had plenty of encounters with the supernatural. And then I got better, and I realized that those things never actually happened. Give you the last word, Cliff and Stuart. Uh, yeah, I mean, okay, this gets better. Okay, well, I don't know if those shrooms or what, because that, that, there's a whole, you know, another piece of literature talking about how a lot of the Christians actually had serious hallucinogenic-type issues, and yet they were still right on things. And that's more literature coming out. So, no, from an actualistic perspective, Arn's exactly right. Next, uh, Zakus, so sorry. Hold on a second. If you're... Before we get to that, because when we did the first debate, we inspired the second debate, and now he's, in, he's inspiring me to do another one. So we're talking about scientific evidence for the supernatural. Ooh, ooh, I think that's a, that's a valid debate. It probably should be a scientific debate. It probably should be in writing. That sounds juicy. You know, and all these empty assertions that I know you we, can't read. We, we must go to the next one. We, uh, in experiments in prebiotic chemistry. So sorry if you didn't hear me uh, read the super chat. Saying, hi, Aaron. Nice to talk to you. As well as Zacuse, thank you for your question. Who, If you couldn't piece it together, your question was, Cliff, a psychopath can't choose to love. This is something that Cliff had already answered. So, so sorry about that, guys. Uh, I'm a rookie over here. Then Sphincter of Doom, I think you had heard that one. Folks, let me know if you didn't. That was the one on the inscrutability of experiences does not insulate conclusions drawn from that experience from scrutiny. And hopefully we're all caught up because now we have Patriot University PhD who has a question saying, Arin Ra, have you finished watching Mr. Hoven's DVD series and why, and which one was your favorite of them? I have not mm. watched any series that the, that the convicted fraud, Mr. Not Dr. Hovind has ever we have made. To, we, uh, don't worry, I'll, I'll buy you a set, Arin. And then Dean Meadows. No, no, I, I won't watch it. I would, I would rather that his fans provide something that was uh, supportive of his position and actually true. Because uh, right. Kent Hovind is a professional liar. That is all he does. Gotcha. We must move to the next one. Dean Meadows, thanks for your question. Said, Aaron, why is it that after being corrected by inspiring philosophy and Eric Hernandez on the definition of faith, do you still use... You mean use... when, I was, when I proved that I was correct both times? They said, do you st why do you still use the incorrect definition? Am I still correct after having proved to be correct? 
Next up, Dean Meadows. Thanks. All right, we read that one. Cupcake for all. Thank you for your question. Said Cliff and Stewart. Why are you so angry? I hate lies. No, oh, no, no, no. I had lion coffee tonight and a little deer antler velvet spray. If you've ever had either of those, you'd be angry too. <laughs> Next up, Bruce Wayne. Thanks for your super sticker support as well as Cystic to Strong. Appreciate your support. We What we have to do, if we do have a third debate, folks, with these two tag teams, I insist we do it in person. We can put your super chats to work, folks, as we... You know, we could try to find a way to get all of our parties here in the same place. And so uh, that's something I think would be especially fun. If we're going to be debating the, the scientific evidence of NDEs or whatever nonsense it was that they wanted to support, we have to have prior reference to whatever scientific peer-reviewed documents they're going to present because we have to read them in advance and, and, and be able to under, you know, understand and, and uh, analyze them. Gotcha. So that's that's the big issue with debating creationism, you know, in, on a, on a stage because people, as many times has happened to me, they will bring up, you know, scientists have found, you know, blood of dinosaurs in fossils. No, you go back and look at what the actual study is when you get a chance to read it. You know, no, it doesn't say anything that you just said it did. Here's what it actually said. That's what it, over and over again happens with me. So we have to be able to read those things, those citations before the debate. Gotcha. And want to remind you folks, a couple of things. One, that our guest links are in the description. We have more questions, so don't go anywhere. But they are linked in the description, so do want to let you know that if you'd like to hear more of any of our guests. Also, want to let you know if it's your first time here, consider hitting that subscribe button as we have many more debates coming up. As you'll see on the bottom right of your screen, Bart Ehrman will be here with Jonathan Sheffield. That is coming up. So just over two weeks from now. So that should be a juicy one. If you want a reminder, you know where that subscribe button is. And Gabriel K, thanks for your question. Let's see, said, for Cliff and Stuart, if Jesus doesn't love you after all I do for making me laugh, I'm confused by that. But I think he's trolling. And Cystic to Strong, thanks for your questions. That for both, does annihilation theory make more sense given the canon of Scripture? What convicts you that they originally taught a literal hell? Thanks. Yes, annihilationism is a position that many followers of Christ have embraced over the past 2,000 years based on different passages in Scripture, including Matthew, where Jesus says, Do not be afraid of the one who can destroy can kill the body but not the soul rather be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell and the point is destruction so that is why annihilation hasn't been embraced by many followers of christ over the past two thousand years who, who can destroy the soul and how do i get to meet this person oh you're going to meet him one day Arn. it's called the return of christ and the day of judgment but he loves you Arn, and i'm praying that but you're, i, I you're want my him. soul destroyed because your heaven would be a horrible damnation and i want to be spared from it no, I can promise well, how do I get you that heaven that? is going to be the best that you can imagine. And it's going no, to be no, I can imagine you can better than you can even think of. And well, I want to get out of the damnation that you yeah, praise. You're far more intelligent than I am, Aaron. That's not the point. The point is that Jesus insisted that heaven is far more wonderful than the human mind, any mind, can comprehend. But if you God. think about it for 10 minutes or more, you'll realize that it is eternal damnation in one form or another. And I would rather be spared that. I don't want to live with little Anthony Fremont for all of eternity. So just destroy my fucking soul and let me out of the deal. 
Well, I pray that you'll trust in Christ and receive eternal life. Well, I Next can't up, trust must, in your magic imaginary friend who must, isn't okay, real. Okay, we must move on. Gabriel K., thanks for your question. Said So because Roswell exists, therefore do aliens exist? I think they're saying that with the argument of Archaeology. the New Testament uh, documents citing certain places that were real historical places, they're saying that if you use a reductio, you get in this uh, trouble. All I'm asking is you come up with your own tests, whatever they are, that you use to determine whether any document is historically reliable. And what I shared was I have four tests. And one of those four tests that I use on any document that claims to be historical is does archaeology support the place names listed in the document? Gotcha. Next up. Importantly, Importantly, we have absolutely no, no evidence that the Exodus ever happened. We know for certain that Noah's flood never happened, and that Adam and Eve were never real, and the Tower of Babel never happened, and no guy ever lived for three days inside of a fish. And all going. of that is complete nonsense. We know that. I can give you a chance to respond, Cliff and Stuart, given there were some new points. If the resurrection there. happened, that doesn't oh, matter. It's real that simple. can all be wrong, but if the resurrection happened... It does not matter. It real simple. Resurrection didn't all, happen of, all, of what you, all of what you just listed is never in the Gospels. All of what you listed is outside the Gospels. I was it not doesn't arguing. doesn't matter. I was not arguing. Yes, it does matter. I was not arguing for the historicity we, we, uh, of the flood. Do, I was arguing do. for the historical we reliability of the Gospels. Move well, in. that'll get we to what we're going to talk about chair. after the Q&A. Tom's chair, uh, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, you look so comfortable under Tom right there on, on screen. says, the Bible is just another religious story from a very religious time and place. Is that a question? All right. That's real simple. The reason you, as a thinking human being, should read the New Testament Gospels is because the civilization that you live in has been more profoundly influenced by Jesus Christ than by any other person. So if you're an intellectual, if you're someone who's interested in thinking through, why is the culture that I'm living in the way it is? You've got to read the person who influenced your culture more than anyone, Jesus Christ, to figure out, is he a liar or is he reliable? Next up, or Jason was he not Burris. even real? Jason Which Burris, is the, is the apparent question. Thing. Next up says, answer Aaron's question, does the finding of Troy give evidence to Hellenistic faith? It's kind of like the Roswell question. Our point has never been that archaeology is a reason to believe and to have faith. Our point was archaeology is one of the four tests that I gave to determine the historical reliability of a document called Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the New Testament. Okay, Thanks. so we Next so we know I, that I, I, all of the archaeological records. Do it, but we do have one. This one's for you, Aaron. It's uh, from Patriot University, PhD. So honored to have you. Says, how was your vacation at Dinosaur Adventureland, Aaron? Did you go hang out with Kent Hovind and his crew? I didn't uh, know that. No, I never went to Hovind's slave camp. Gotcha. Okay, cystic to strong. Thanks for your uh, support. Appreciate that super sticker. Then Eric Veer. Thaler, 92, thanks for your question, said, would Aaron ever debate a flat earther such as Nathan Thompson? Yes, I would, but since Kent Hovind was just brought up recently, let me tell you, this is what I want to say seriously. Get... <clears throat> what is it, Aaron? 
<laughs> we, we did, I'm sorry, Harry. It was it just at that moment. Who who did you say you it, it cut out? Who did you say that we should get? We, we just we they just mentioned Kent Hovind. Oh yeah, but I, we didn't hear it cut out when you said right after you said this is what I really want to say. It froze yeah, right after you said that. <laughs> yeah, I've got to complain to my internet so because I pay for commercial service and so I should not have interruptions or stalls. Right. So I'm really pissed about that. But somebody mentioned Kent Hovind. And so you're going to mention flat earthers. And this is what I want to say. Yeah, I would I would gladly debate a flat earther. But what I really want to see, and I'm being sincere, I want to see Kent Hovind debate the best flat earther there is. Because it, it, it would be wonderful. Because this would be the first time in Kent Hovind's life when he ever had to use science to his defense where in an argument he, he could potentially win. <laughs> so next, that would it would definitely be interesting. <laughs> We've tried to. I will. We'll try again. I know that Nathan Thompson, who I might be the best flat Earth debater, uh, wants to debate Hovind, but Hovind has not uh, taken the bait. Cystic to strong. Thanks for your question. Said for both, does annihilation theory make more sense given the can't? Oh, we read that already. Uh, let's see. We have another one. This one's from Meerkat S. K5, T-Jump, if only a consensus can truly verify a claim, do you have a study that asked scientists from every field that whether the statement, quote, only a consensus can truly verify a claim? Consensus doesn't verify anything. Consensus is the way you, like, have people who assess the evidence and reliably understand it. The consensus isn't the verification. Gotcha. A consensus is when... Is, is is when like like ninety eight percent of the of, of the experts in the field all have come to the same conclusion based on the same studies. Gotcha. And Mir or this one's a Patriot University PhD, very active tonight. Says Aaron Raw needs to sell his microbrew beer ASAP. That's right. I thought I remember this. Go. Yeah, I wish. I wish I had a microbrewer that did did one one batch of godless heathen and he promised he was going to do more and he disappeared and it pissed me off because it was actually good it wasn't a high abv but it was actually good the taste i mean that's well hopefully in the future we and then we have strudel slayer thanks for your support i didn't see a question I don't know. Does that mean something bad? It's like everybody does that. No, to me. Okay, I just love like these cosmic... usernames, like Cosmic Sphincter, and you know, I mean... <laughs> <laughs> Cosmic. Yes, Meerkat SK Five and Strudel Slayer. I didn't get your uh, your question. It it just. But thanks for your super chat. Let me know in the live chat if you want to attach a question to it, and just put it as a normal chat. You don't have to do another super chat. Um, Wilma. Okay, Wilma, thanks for your question, said, To Aaron and T-Jump, I myself struggle with having hope in humanity and not letting frustration consume me. How do you two deal with, let's see, creationists and or still believe uh, or people who believe in mythology? No, they're not nearly as bad as politicians. Like, we need heavy doses of alcohol for that. And I don't notice that that politics is actually far less rational than religion. It's bizarre. That's in cute. either case, in either case, we're talking about people who don't care what the truth is. They're just want to—they want to believe what they want to believe, and that's it. Yeah, I, that seems very true. I've experienced that myself. Uh, Jeff Young, thanks for your question. Said, does anyone recognize? Let's see. Uh, they said, 
see. They said they'd love to hear uh, people like William Lane Craig or Bart Ehrman. Uh, we do have – we can work on seeing if Dr. Craig comes on, but Dr. Dr. Bart Ehrman will be on later this uh, month if you're looking for top-notch intellectuals. We uh, will shoot for irresistible truth. Thanks for your questions that aren't in. You mentioned the issue of free will with your opponents. What has your experience been with debating Calvinists since they are determinists? I love Calvinists, the, the fact that they exist, because they, I can use their existence against the other body of Christianity. Gotcha. Especially when it comes to the idea of free will, especially when it comes to arguments of morality, because there just isn't any. I mean, Calvinism is just like Islam in that God decides who's going to do. God decides whether I'm going to believe or not. God decides whether I'm going to do evil or not. And then God decides that he's going to punish me for the thing he forced me to do. So I have no free will. Same thing with Calvinism. God decided in advance. So Sin all you want to. You were de- you were predetermined to go to heaven, and it doesn't matter what you do, and you're going to go to hell no matter what you do. So, <laughs> next up, let's see. Um, Op, thanks for your question. Said if science works on consensus, then should we trust the scientists that believe in the flat Earth in the 15th century, or actually examine the data? I think they're saying like if we lived at that time, yeah, no scientist believed in, believed in the fla- in a flat Earth in the 15th century. First off, science does not work on consensus. So any one person can over can overturn the status quo. It's just the validity of the arguments and the evidence that he brings forth. That's like that's why uh, tectonic theory uh, replaced expanding Earth theory, and it took until Wagner was no longer alive. Wagner was ridiculed during his own life, and yet after he died, eventually, all of the scientists realized one by one by one they all realized you know what he had a point, and what he said works out. And you know what he was right. That's what the consensus means, is that all the scientists have tested it, and they've all realized, yeah, he was right. Gotcha. And thanks so much for your question. This one comes in from, you guessed it, Patriot University PhD says, why did you switch from a stout to a, is it larger? Lager? Lager. Lager? I'm not drinking a lager. Uh, What I had tonight, uh, and I'm going What do you have today? Oh, okay. (laughs) And then I went to full-grown Jack, which is a pumpkin stout. And then I went to uh, full-grown Ombre, which is flavored by ancho chilies. And then I went to another local brewery. These are all Dallas (laughs) breweries. This is Revolver Blood and Honey, and this is an American ale. Nice. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that sounds really good. Which which was the one you said you had tonight? I had all these. Oh, okay, there we go. Gotcha. <laughs> you got it. And thank you for your question from Ryan Adams, who said, how can human experience be an accurate pointer to a supernatural? Wouldn't it only point to known and unknown? All right. My experience of life is real. My experience of life is that science is a wonderful branch of knowledge. 
my experience and observation is that historical knowledge is a wonderful branch of knowledge. And my experience is that my interactions with people is not based on science. It's not based on history, although both of them influence me, but it's based on trust. And the way I trust someone is by amassing evidence that they are reliable. And then when it comes to trusting God, the question is, has God revealed himself accurately in Christ? And is the evidence pointing to Jesus being reliable, trustworthy? And I would argue the historical evidence of his life teachings, death and resurrection is that indeed Jesus Christ is reliable. And if not, please give me someone who is more reliable than Christ. The famous atheist A.N. Wilson became a Christian again, and Dawkins, Hitchens all hated it that A.N. Wilson became a Christian. And he said the main reason why is because he met so many Christians who had radical character change. But they, he that. couldn't find we anybody that actually had evidence that they were correct. I have interviewed a handful of, of former atheists that not just people like, like you, you see them all the time, people who say that they were card-carrying atheists or that they were devout atheists, when you know they never really were atheists. I'm talking about people who we could verify were not not just atheists, but atheist activists once upon a time, and who later adopted Christian belief. I've interviewed a handful of them. They do exist. There's only a few of them. There's a very few of them. But in each case, all of them, the reason that they believed was entirely emotional. They believed simply because they wanted to, because it made them feel good some way. Just like a drug. Next up, we both ways. Except for France, Dr. Francis Collins, head of the NIH. His was the most bizarre. We must say this guy's indefensible. I saw a waterfall. I saw a waterfall that split into three directions, and I decided to lose my fucking mind and decide that that means that the Trinity was real. What an idiot. Morior Invictus, thanks for your question, said the flood absolutely happened. Look at Inspiring Philosophy's video on it. Jesus is king. Atheism is cringe. Sorry, I've seen Inspiring Philosophy's video on the flood that actually happened. You can also find that exact same account in my series on why the flood didn't happen, the eight-part series of how we know that various forms of science prove that Noah's Ark or the Noah's flood never happened, that there was never a global flood. What there was was an actual flood around 2600 BCE in the Gem, and at the end of the Jemdat Nasur, which was centered on the city of Shurapak, so that that one city flooded, yeah, and then the stories about that were exaggerated into ridiculous proportions. The only way that you can ever exaggerate a flood story is to say that eventually everything was flooded. And so there's a handful of people who told that exaggeration, except that there's important details missing. Like in one version of the story, the only people who survived was a man and a woman who hid in a seashell. And in another version of the story, all of the animals turned into fish and then turned into real people again. And then in another version of the story where the entire world was flooded, it was flooded with beer. Next up, uh, we have Andrew Handelsman says, Aaron, I saw you leaving Dinosaur Adventureland with an ARC toy. I'll Photoshop No, you that. didn't. <laughs> I'll Photoshop that. I've only been in Alabama <laughs> but, uh, once, and I've only, was, I was only there as long as it takes to drive through it. <laughs> You got it. And Gabriel K., thanks for your question, said, I am being serious for once. I have learned more from science than the Son of God has ever shown, and he has the power to let me know right now. 
Next up, Sphincter of Doom, thanks for your question, says, there's Cosmic Sphincter, says, Aristotle was very influential in modern science, and it took decades to overturn. The singular influence of, of a person on society isn't enough to accept. I think that's for you, uh, Cliff and Stewart. I am very grateful for Johann Kepler, the father of modern astronomy. As he peered out of the stars at night, he exclaimed, Oh, God, I am thinking your thoughts after you. I'm very grateful for Galileo, for Copernicus, for Boyle, for Faraday, for Dr. Francis Collins. I am very grateful for all the science professors on university campuses across this country and around the world who have a deep commitment to science because they understand that a rational God created an orderly world gave them rational minds, and they, by exercising their rational minds in a responsible way, can unlock the secrets of the universe. You, you know, Kuhn, Kuhn in the paradigm shift. Who lost Kuhn their the, rationality when they jumped to unwarranted assumptions for no damn reason. Kuhn's paradigm shift. You know how long it takes, if you read Kuhn, for a paradigm to change in society, whether it's Aristotelian or many others. You look at the Jews, overnight, pretty much, after Jesus' resurrection, changing to Christians, that's wait, wait, a tough wait, wait. one you to explain. Overnight staying Jews? Tremendously difficult. They, they believe that Jesus Christ is tremendously difficult that they stayed Jews? His own brother, his own brother now, all of a sudden, never believed in him and became head of the Jerusalem church. And changed. you believe that? And it was killed You for believe it. that Jesus' own brother somehow didn't believe in him and then suddenly did? It's in scripture and tradition. I mean, and what you more do you believe want? That. You want Josephus too? No. I totally yeah, believe I that. do want Josephus too. You just believe in some life from thousands of years Josephus. ago that I've never even heard of. And you I've were already, certain of it. I you already were like, have Josephus. that did happen. I already I like, have Josephus what? supporting my side of the argument. Must, I hate to so say you don't get Josephus. I got him. <laughs> Next up. <laughs> so we, uh, let's say appreciate this question. This one's coming in from Zakus. says, if Jesus is historically reliable... How was the, how was he born before King Herod died, and at the first census of Quirinius? You are you are familiar with this, right? Very difficult question. Good hard question. Very perceptive. All right. First point: When you study the Syrian government, there were two people who were called governor. One was the head of the military, and the other was the head of the government. So it's quite possible that Quirinius served in two capacities as governor, one as head of military, two as head of the government. And therefore, it's possible that Quirinius was governor in 6543 B.C. as well as in 5678 A.D. Possible. Except we don't know. The, the text is silent. So we have to be honest. The text is silent. But that is a possibility. Except that this is the word of God. And we are basing our the, the, the value of our entire existence. Are we going to be tortured mercilessly, senselessly, with no forgiveness whatsoever, relentlessly, vindictively, for all eternity? Or are we going to get the perpetual blowjob on ecstasy forever and ever and ever? All it's on whether simple. we believe the atrocious bullshit story or simple. not. No. no, it's simply an issue of... 
if you want to live your life together with God, you'll spend eternity with him. And if you want to spend eternity, if you want to live your life separate that. from him, then you'll spend eternity separate George from him. Harrison died, each one of us. George, Harrison, George Harrison died convinced that he was going to spend eternity with his personal God. But according to you, he's in hell because his personal God was Krishna. And you said that's wrong. You said, you said Hindus don't say that. You so said Hindus I don't say that, but that there are lots of Hindus who actually do say that. We must move on to the next one. I hate to do this, but uh, let's see. Unless you had a short and pithy reply, I do have another question. This one comes from Sphincter of Doom. says, how do you test your faith? Refusing to consider the possibility of wrong is admitting you're not going to find out. Jesus commands his followers to be skeptics. He says in the Sermon on the Mount, Beware of false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves, and they will eat your lunch. So because good and evil are so intertwined in this world, Jesus commands us to be skeptics. And Jesus commands that we not be skeptics, that we believe credulously, that we buy into his, his bullshit arguments on faith and for no other reason because we don't have any evidence. And he criticizes people who ask for evidence. He says, you, Thomas, you ask for evidence, but blessed is he who, believe, who, who has not seen and yet believes. So, and you will not put the Lord thy God to the test. That's what Jesus said. Jesus said, do not be a skeptic. Believe what I said because I said so and for no other reason. Next that is up. not what he said to Thomas. Thank you for your question, Morier Invictus. Right here. He did not reprimand Thomas for his doubt. Yes, he did. No, he didn't. With the exact verbiage I just Thomas used. In his doubt, and he said, but, come on, Thomas, right but, here. Blessed is he who has not seen yes. and yet believed. Yeah, That's Jesus correct. actually said that. He did open say up that. Your, open up your, your book of fairy that, tales I know that. and look it up. It actually but, does but say that. quote Jesus. And, and say it's Jesus who said it. Say it's you. Yeah, it was Warrior. Jesus who Gentlemen, said it in your book it. of fairy tales. We must move forward. Morier Invictus, thanks for your question, said much more than one city in inspiring philosophy's video on the flood. Meltwater Pulse 1B Science catching up to flood stories slash evidence the world over. I think that's fine. Is that a question direct, you directed are. at me? Yeah. It's uh, going back to Inspiring Philosophy's video on the flood. They say much more than one city mentioned in Inspiring Philosophy's video and Meltwater Pulse 1B. Yeah, there was more than one city. I said it was centered on Shuripak. Okay. But it did affect other cities in the surrounding area. It was not a global flood. They also said Meltwater Pulse 1B science catching up to flood stories slash evidence the world over i don't know what that means yeah well the, the world over does not relate to the the, the flood of Shuripak. i mean in greece you had a similar flood legend that could have been based on the same thing wherein the people escaped the flood by by going to high tree uh high mountaintops which obviously if it's a global flood and it covers everything the way the bible said obviously the bible is still wrong again on the on the floods if the greeks can can hide on mountaintops and then strangely in japan they don't have any flood flood legends at all which is weird because they get flooded regularly by having more tsunamis than anybody else ever has. I guess it's just that that happens so regularly that it's not a joke. You don't even tell stories like that. I think that's what the issue is with them. Next up, Karag Nightwolf says, 
question for the Christians, is there a valid and sound deductive argument with valid and sound premises for God raising Jesus from the dead? Uh, minimal facts I would start with. Then I would go to many eyewitnesses are still alive. Paul talks about 1 Corinthians 15, 3 through 8. Then I would go to the paradigm shift in terms of... Gotcha. Soldier of Science, thanks for your question, said C and S. Cliff and Stewart, do you agree that 90% of humans believe in their God based on when and where they were born? No. Next, irresistible. Go ahead. What's interesting about that is if you look at Hinduism, still mainly located in India, you look at Islam, still mainly in the Middle East, Africa, you look at Buddhism in the East... Christianity, 25% to 12% is spread out all over Europe, Latin America, China. It's the most well-traveled religion by far and away, which I think says something about it. So so go back to like 1400 BC or excuse me, 1400 CE, and you have Sikhism, right, where, where you have Guru Nanak who says God visited him to tell him that neither of the two great religions is the true path. And what are the two great religions? Hinduism and Islam. Christianity, according to God, didn't even merit a mention, right? So Christianity was not important in the 1400s, in the Middle Ages, in Pakistan, right? So, so that, that, that's, that's what we get. We, the, the two great religions are Hinduism and Islam. Bingo. And we they're still located Christ- in their main, where they began. They're right, still so you just there. verified. Christianity's that- all over. You just verified unwittingly that the, the, the questioner's uh, assumption is correct, that where they are born depends entirely on what they believe. No, it's a genetic we, don't, we don't have people who are born in the United States to Christian families suddenly have visions of Krishna. That you're an atheist happen. because you're a secular atheist humanist because you were born in the U.S. and you're in Dallas, Texas. Next up, thanks for your I'm, question. That has no relevance this to this one, conversation. This one comes <laughs> in from our dearest friend, Desiro. Des- Irresistible. I just want to make, it, make, it, make a statement of what he just said. I have met atheists in Sharia countries. They just yes. have to be quiet about it. Next, Irresistible <laughs> Truth, thanks for your question, said, For Cliff and Stewart, what is the one argument that your opponents should believe that they are suppressing on purpose? There is no way that I know T-Jump and Aaron well enough to be able to answer that question. I feel that that would be incredibly judgmental of me to answer that question. Okay? So I don't know them. But I do know that when my brother was at Princeton, his unbelieving friends would fire one difficult question at him after another. And around about midnight, my brother would say, all right, guys, if these questions are really keeping you away from Christ, we'll pull an all-nighter. But if the real issue is, I want to do my thing my way, and I don't want anybody telling me how to live my life, then let's face that fact. And let's stop hiding behind these intellectual smoke screens. Every single time, my brother's Princeton classmates would say, Stuart, you're correct. We reject Christ, not because we have reasoned it through and we have found an option that is supported by more evidence— Rather, we reject Christ because we don't want God telling us how to live our lives. Introduce your brother to me. Thank you for your honesty. Yeah, introduce your brother to me because I am not that person. Good. I never. I don't believe you. I I don't believe the bullshit story. I don't know what Aaron. I don't believe the bullshit story you just told. Because that doesn't apply to me 
or any other atheist I've ever met in my life, introduce me to your brother. Oh. We'll pull an all-nighter, and I'll fix his ass. Well, next right, oh we'll wrap up with that. So I want to say thank you all for being with us tonight. We are we have got all of our guests linked in the description. I still have a couple of questions. Oh, that's right. RN does have a, spe- a couple specific questions for Cliff and Stewart. If you guys are uh, up for it, yeah, just it's just two. It, it should be easy. Uh, I want I want a description from the Christians of what Jesus did. What was his purpose, and what did he accomplish? Let's start with that. His purpose was to come, save, and buy back humanity. To change hearts, because ultimately we know in this world, education, technology, and science cannot, it can do only do so much, ultimately becomes a heart change. So he came back to buy us back, to start changing things here and now, not to look at some pie in sky by and by, but instead because this is going to be the new Jerusalem, the new heaven, the new earth is going to come here, that we should be on the front lines, just like the Christians in Africa, doing things against the AIDS crisis, for example. So so what Many changed? What changed? When? Yeah. What, what do you mean? Well, Jesus shows up and something changed. What is it? What is it like? Like, I mean, what did Jesus two do? Thirds the of the Roman Empire, two thirds of the Roman Empire became Christian within a few hundred years. Within you, a you few mean, hundred years. So, so what you mean did like the Jesus sociological or, or, or worldwide benefits of him being here? Is that what, what you mean? did Jesus do? It's the same question. He, yeah. He was born in a feeding trough. He taught great things. He, was, he taught as one he who had authority things. that no one had ever that, heard of whole, before. That's a whole other debate. Jesus healed, taught, Jesus healed taught people, utter inanity he and healed bullshit. people, healed the sick. No, he didn't. He, he was a faith healer. He was a fraud. But I don't want to argue that. I want to know what your position is on what Jesus well, did. What question. was the change that Jesus made in What's, our lives as people 2,000 years ago. What was the change? Like they're ready for the second question. I hate to push us into that one, but... You, I mean, I could keep going, but did you want to... Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah let's, James, let's go. go James. What's the Give second question, Aaron? If you were always a good person, and you did not answer the first question, I just have to make... I don't want to be blanket on that. You didn't answer the first question. At we all. never answer any of your questions, Aaron. You make that real clear. I don't know why that we even have these discussions then. So what if you were always a good person and you heard of Jesus, but you never believed in it because it just sounded like bullshit because it does sound like bullshit. And then you die. What happens to you? You bet. It's real simple. I've only met one student in the past 38 years of speaking on university campuses who claimed to be a morally perfect person. That was at MIT. And when did that we, MIT did we say morally said, perfect? I have I lived good. a morally perfect life. All of his I MIT classmates in that classroom burst into laughter. Okay. All I right. said good. Jesus Christ defines perfect. good as morally perfect. Okay, so but I None didn't of us say are morally perfect. perfect. I Christ said good. offers all of us forgiveness and eternal life. For those okay, of us so who have if a you sin don't problem, believe the bullshit story and you're good, not morally perfect, mm-hmm. but Taking everything positives and negatives, you're on the plus. You know, you're on the you're on the positive, right? You do more good than bad, right? Because we, I don't believe in the in the two you know the two sides of extremes. I believe in the bell curve. Remember, right? So 
if you're on the bell curve and you're slightly on the good side of normal, yep. right? So that, but you don't believe the bullshit story, right? And then you die. What happens? Well, I've worked in a lot of prisons and I've never met an inmate who said that they were on the wrong side of the bell curve. They've always said they've been good people. And I have an ability to say that I'm a good person also. But I think that Jesus analysis of the human heart shows that I'm not as good as I would like to persuade everybody that I am. And I have even a if that were the evil. case, but it still works out that you're more positive than negative and you're slightly on the good side of the bell curve, then what happens? What happens is when you sin, you're basically saying, God, take a hike. I want to live my life when separate you. When you are you. A, basically a good person, as I said, weighing all your positives and negatives, you end up on the positive side. I'm having to ask the same question over and over again, but you never believe the bullshit story that is obviously a bullshit story that you have to believe in God. You, must move you have forward. to believe in specifically Jesus. You have to defy the first commandment to believe that there's another God before God, that he is the God that gets to God. Yeah, you, you, have, to, you have to defy the first commandment in order to be Christian. What happens if you don't believe that lie and you're basically a good person? What happens to your soul? If you choose to live your life separate from God, God will not violate your decision. What if you're a Hindu you spend eternity or a Jew from him. or this a Muslim or and you're question. basically we, good we do and you don't believe Jesus? What happens to your soul? We, I hate to do this, but I, I can give you guys... I knew I wasn't going to get an answer to that before I asked it. I just I want everybody you... to know that. Can give you guys a chance to answer it, but then we do have to go to the next question. We do give have them a, a couple chance, questions. But you won't get, they won't here's, give here's the answer. answer. I'll, I'll give you the answer. They won't. I'd be playing God if I answered that. Is that an answer? Then you just told me you're not going to give me an answer. God, Thank I, you. How so, is a human being able to say one. whether a soul is going see. to heaven or not? Cupcake, I mean, cupcake for all. Because Sorry, you have the I doctrine that you say is the absolute truth we, uh, and the revealed word of the one we true do, God. I have to just redirect like 14 other religions have. We do have to redirect us. Uh, cupcake for all. Thanks for your question. Sorry, I missed it. Uh, they said, Cliff and Stuart, why did you call Camus a prophet? Do you understand the difference between prophets and philosophers? Camus? Camus. C-A-M-U-S. Oh, Camus. 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 Yeah, Albert Camus was a Nobel laureate author in like the 1950s. Nailed it. He died in, I think, yeah, 51, I believe it is. Check me on that. So Camus became a Christian the final few years of his life before he died tragically in a car accident. That's sad because he was a good philosopher up until then. <laughs> and what led him there was, again, it, it was the whole question of, of meaning of life. And he started reading the Bible for himself, got introduced to Christ. It wasn't through the Bible. It was the character of Jesus Christ that led him ultimately to say, okay, there is a meaning beyond me. And that is, that is Jesus Christ in terms of all the intangibles that he has to offer in terms of love, sacrifice, forgiveness, why to help and we must, serve other people. We must move Everything on. We do have another one. This one's from Gabriel K. Thank like, you, Camus Gabriel Camus K. Journal. We do. We appreciate your question. Gabriel says, when you pass, you will not walk into the light, but lead people into ignorance no way. through primeval darkness you left behind. I think that's an insult to you, Cliff and Stewart. Sorry. Uh, next up, I I don't know if you want to respond. You can. Did you hear it? Yeah, I, I mean that's that's hilarious because because that goes both ways. We both think that we have the light when there is darkness on the other side. So we're both proselytizing in different ways to hopefully help the other side see the truth. So at least we're all truth seekers here trying to find the truth. 
Next. And yet God is going to punish Thanks me for as your a question. Appreciate for being this a truth one is seeker. from Seth Nesmith. Says, Stuart, why do you claim God did anything if you can't even prove empirically that he exists to do anything? I can say a unicorn is those, I can say a unicorns is those things. I think they're saying they could try to say that a unicorn caused the things that you think God caused. Yeah, so if you're looking for empirical proof, empirically prove to me that I have to do that. I mean, can you even empirically prove that statement? I would start there. And then secondly, I would say, I mean, look at science. Aaron loves talking about science. There is both a type of evidence leading to proof that's based off of that what is produced in a lab, but then there's also forensic science. And so we can't do science, that type of science, proving things when we put somebody on the moon. It's based off of what has happened in the past, so it's based off of a type of history. Now, the Gospels and understanding who God is is closer to that second type of science. Gotcha. Just like everything we you just must, said was wrong. I hate to I mean, say just, it. We just, I know, we, let's, let's, hopefully we can get a round three in, that would be fun. Uh, thanks so much for your, your, uh, hanging out with us, everybody in the live chat. Thanks to our moderators for doing a great job on banning hate speech. Appreciate that as well. And want to say thanks so much though, to our guests. It's been a true pleasure. They're all linked in the description folks. So if you want to hear more, you can. And so, yes, thank you very much. Cliff, Stuart, Tom, and Aaron. I, I want to apologize thank for T-Jump for not letting him, like, just run this debate. I just, I, I, I don't know. I just I just wanted to jump into the fight. I'm sorry. <laughs> no worries. It's always enjoy, enjoy intense. We uh, appreciate it's a, it's a lively one. We had another question. Seth Nesmith, thanks for your last-minute question, said, if you can't prove it and you can't show it, why should anyone listen to you? Again, it has the same amount of importance as Santa Claus. Okay, so, again, that's a type of proofism. You can't prove that statement, one. Secondly... Going about that in that type of way, people people that disagree on what is real proof and what is real evidence, shown even here tonight. So what is proof? What is evidence? You have to break that down, and then you have to start to get to exactly what we've been talking about. What is historical evidence? And I think it's all about choosing Christianity to be ultimately rational has to do with, is it existentially satisfying with our experience, our emotions, all that we've talked about in terms of love, desires, ultimate hope, and then also is it intellectually credible? And I think with those two, Christianity combines those beautifully. I think atheism is pretty good here with some of the rationality. I think it totally is horrible in terms of existentially fulfilling. That's why a lot of atheists kill themselves, like Camille talked about doing. Excuse me? Why are we happier than you? I don't get that. We're not happier. How, how oh, do we? No, no, studies? we are. We're, no. we're less criminal than you are. We oh. are statistically more moral I, than Susan you are. Susan Blackmore. Susan Blackmore made that comment to me. Completely false. Did you we, not just oh, see we, the, the, the study that question. came out of Harvard? I hate. Yeah, to, so. I hate to interrupt, but we had Seth Nesmith has another question. It says, "What the heck is proof? Profism? Proofism? Laughing my butt off. Good debate." 
Yeah, RN, there's no such thing said, as proofism. They, no, they, they said, no the Christians said, here said, are, are arguing a complete straw man. Said, Science doesn't prove things in the positive sense. Next. We just we show that there's a substance there. Christians can't show that there's a substance there. So that's the purpose of the you whole can't argument. Prove an, you they can't, prove can't a negative. show that there's a you there there. You there's can't done. prove a negative. Atheism is a negative. You can't prove it. <laughs> I don't have to prove it. I said Hitchens uh, razor. What is asserted without evidence is dismissed without evidence. If you make an unsupported assertion, it doesn't warrant serious consideration. You are making an unsupported assertion of impossible absurdities that is not supported by anything and has not even a possibility, yet you're insisting that it's absolutely true. No, you're full of shit. Did I say absolutely true once? I we don't next, know that we you did. Move, I hate you're to completely this, but convinced of it, that means of, the same uh, thing. We have you, yeah, your, your dad here say, kept saying over and over again, I am convinced of these impossible absurdities and I'm not going to be reasoned with. Yeah, he did say that over and over again. Not once. Next. We, uh, yes, he did several to, times. Uh, I am convinced. I am convinced okay. that because we yeah, both agree that love like, exists, that that means that this. fairies exist. Not once did I say right. that. magic must, is real. We must go uh, to the uh, next uh, thing, which yeah, you, is... Your dad did actually say word? that I'm because right. love exists, and we both agree that love we exists. He then it. made a bunch of false statements that Wild. love is not chemical, that love is a matter of choice, which is so complete bullshit. We and do that, have and to, that his faulty understanding about that caused him to assume wrongly that magic is real. These guys are yeah, he did posts. over and over again. I am convinced. It's eleven thirty over there. We have to. So we. Uh, but we do have a want to say thanks so much. The word on the streets here is that allegedly hitting like helps a video. So if you enjoy this debate, if you're like, mm, I like that. That was a good one. Hit that like button as we do appreciate that support. <laughs> and as mentioned, all of our guests are linked in the description. We hope to see you tomorrow night for a juicy one as Team Skeptic returns. First time in a while. It's been a long time. He will be taking on Conspiracy Castle. That should be a juicy one. That's at the bottom right of your screen. And want to say thanks so much for hanging out with us, folks. We hope you keep sifting out the reasonable from the unreasonable. Take care. And one last thanks. To our guests, Cliff Stewart, Tom, and Aaron for being here. Thank you, James. Thank you, guys. Thank you, gents. Thank you. Take care and have a great night, everybody. We'll hopefully see you tomorrow. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.